Dr. Fuck, and with me is. Oh, yeah. This... Oh, yeah. What a horrible day. Yeah. Uh, we were supposed to do a podcast tonight and uh, review an album, but we scrapped it to talk about the incredible loss that we suffered today with Mr. Neil Peart. Neil Peart. Well, how do you pronounce it? I believe the correct pronunciation is Peart, but, uh, you know, everybody outside of Canada calls him Neil Peart, so I'll accept either or. Hey, that one exception where the, where, where Canada's actually smarter. Yes. Because you think about it, there was only one intelligent guy in Canada. Now there's no intelligent people in Canada. Hey, get I'm me making it. a joke. Okay, bye. What's all this about? No, uh, I, 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 I know. I just want to say, uh, sorry for my co-host. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, I don't know if you saw this this morning, Ian, but I made a, I made a post about Neil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I did. I did see that one where you said this guy had grace and elegance and knew when to quit and that kind of yeah. shit. You know, yeah, another, yeah. another jab at David Lee Roth. <laughs> and, and, and kiss. I mean, they're, they're both going on tour together. It's too fucking... Uh, you know, just rename the tour. We stay too late for the party. Right. And have you Vince know? Neil open up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, enough of that. Uh, Rush, man. I mean, geez, you want to talk about a band that I've been into since uh, Hemispheres, really. As far as I can remember, as far back as I can remember, I do. Uh, I remember my first. I mean, I don't know if it's my first Rush experience but back in the day um we went to um uh we we were uh in a hotel my my parents rented a hotel on the beach and where we live now but at that time we lived in Hialeah and in that hotel they had HBO now HBO back then you know between movies they would show not only commercials and for you know movies you can catch on HBO but they would show music videos. And they showed the video for Trees, Xanadu, Farewell to Kings, and Circumstances. They would show that on... Wow. Yeah, they would show it on HBO. So I believe that's my first Rush memory. And uh, and I know um, I had Hemispheres back then. And uh, I was just a huge fan. Uh, right away, I remember when they came on the Permanent uh, Waves tour... I wanted to go really bad, but you know, at that time my parents wouldn't let me go to shows, and so I caught the next one, 1981 uh, Moving Pictures tour. I've seen. Let me see. Let me do the count. How many times I've seen Rush? I've seen Moving Moving Pictures technically twice because I saw uh, Exit Stage Left in Lakeland, Lakeland, Florida. Then Signals, Grace Under Pressure. Then I stopped, and I didn't go see them till. Test for Echoes. 
Then after that was um, what was the album after Text for Echoes? Ian. Uh, after Test for Echoes was Vapor Trails. Okay, I saw Vapor Trails. I saw Snakes and Ladders. I saw Clockwork Angels twice. And the final time when I went to New Orleans. So that's a ten, total of ten times I've seen Rush. Nice, nice. And from the moving picture show, 1981, to the final show in New Orleans, uh, Neil Peart was just as good. At both shows, um, this is a guy that saw the future. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I heard today. I don't know how true this is, but I heard today that he was diagnosed with brain cancer after the tour. Uh, yeah, yeah. For three years, he was living with brain cancer. So, you know, there's a lot of people speculating, saying, "Oh, you know, he retired because he got brain cancer." No. He retired because he, I believe, had corporal tunnel like Peter Chris, and well, it, or it, so, something was wrong with him. Well, it, as far as what I know and, and what I've read, uh, yeah, there was physical ailments. I mean, at his age and at the level he played at, it was really getting to him. But I, I think the number one factor uh, in him retiring was his uh, his daughter. Okay. Because you know he he lost he lost his his first child and he lost his first wife. I mean, incredible losses. Uh, you know, and then he found love again, got remarried, and had another daughter. And uh, I think he just knew that that time was short. Uh, he wasn't a man of faith, uh, so he didn't believe in like any afterlife. He believed this is the time we have, make the most of it. And uh, you know, between the combination of how. The, the physical pain he was in from drumming at that level and then knowing that he had a small child and wanted to spend his, whatever time he had left with that child because this is a man who knows that time is precious from what he lost. Uh, he just said, I'm done, man. I, I, I've, I've done enough. And I, well, I respect he was, that decision. He, he wanted to end it even before the, uh, the R40 tour. Oh, yeah. He didn't He didn't want to do that one. They, I, you know, uh, from yeah, what I've read, Alan, pretty, it, pretty... No, no. It's it's documented in the, I believe, Time Stand Still Blu-ray. Right. He talks about how Alex was like, listen, man, I got arthritis. I don't know how long I got. And then Neil agreed to do it, but then he ended up going in his hotel room throwing shit around, pissed off that he agreed to it. Right. You know? Because he was done. He was already done. But... He also knew in one of the last uh, Getty Lee interviews I saw, uh, he said, you know, uh, Neil was still drumming at his full capacity, but he saw the signs yeah. that he can't hold up this, this long. And he did not want to continue touring and playing if he couldn't be 100%. Right. Unlike every other fucking band out there that doesn't know when to say bye. You know, so he um, went out with style, man. I mean, Getty and Alex didn't want to stop, but right. they, they they respected him and loved him so much. They said, OK. And ever since he laid down those drumsticks, he's never, ever played drums again after that tour. He was done. He was right. completely done. He wanted to enjoy life. And he was a complicated guy, very intelligent man. And, uh, you know, I'm knowing all this be even before today because, you know, you watch these documentaries on on Rush. He was a guy that a lot of people misunderstood him as hating fans. But he was a lot like Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix hated praise 
He hated it. And so did Neil. He didn't like to be praised. And, you know, when he met fans, people would praise him. That wasn't That's why he wasn't part of the meet and greet and all that. But he wasn't a people hater because when his wife and daughter passed away, he went on some 13, 14-month journey on his motorcycle through North America. And he loved, he said he loved going to diners and talking to people that didn't know him, you know, and analyze people from all around the States. And he was, you know, he loved people, but he just didn't like being praised. And, uh, and you know, another thing about him, man, he's the guy that wrote all those fucking lyrics, man. Yeah. Uh, on those Rush albums that were just so, I don't know, mind expanding, you know, it was like, and to think, man, looking back in retrospect, and I even thought this, you know, before he died as well. It's like, man, what a way to go out with the song The Garden. Yeah. It is such a great cap to uh, the Rush uh, legacy because it's a song about life and, you know, like lessons in life. Yeah. And he's a very introspective guy. And, you know, he was a reader. He read a lot. He wrote bo- uh, songs about some of the books. 2112 was about the fountain. And, um, and it's just very, I mean... And I'm not one... I, I, I'm a shithouse poet guy. To me, it's all about Bon Scott, but he was an exception. You know, I loved his trippy Cygnus X1 lyrics and the whole, you know, tuning the guitar lyrics on 2112. And just... Uh, he was just a brilliant, brilliant guy. Not only, you know, a drummer, but, you know, we're going to look back... I'm going to look back at Neil Peart like I look back at Jimi Hendrix. You know, Jimi Hendrix, I think, is rated perfectly as a guitar player but very underrated as a songwriter. And I think that's going to be the legacy of Neil Peart. Everybody's just going to remember his drumming and not what a great lyricist he was. So, you know, and, uh, and, you know, it's a shame that Getty doesn't get bashed like Ozzy since Neil wrote all his lyrics. You know, what can you do? (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yeah. So, um, wow. So, so I made, I made that post this morning. I did a lot of things last night. I hardly slept. And I woke up this morning and I wrote, made that little post. Then I got a, had to go help somebody load their car with vinyl. Long story. And then I finally got back to sleep. And then I got woken up by Ruben. Rosa, I love that guy. Who called me and said, yo, I'm at work, but they told me Neil Perk died. Go check the internet to see if it's true and call me back. I said, what? No way, I just posted about it. And I got up, and while I was going to my computer, I noticed a text message from Kathy. Huge, huge Rush fan she is. Uh, sent me a text, Neil Perk died. So I didn't even have to turn on the computer. I was like, oh, man. And believe me, I'm like groggy during this. And, um, but, you know, then, then she called, and I talked to her, and she was crying, man. I took her to see Rush. The one and only time she saw Rush, I took her to see him. Clockwork Angels tour. And um, so after that, you know, I started listening to... The first thing I put on was The Garden and reading those lyrics. And I got a little choked up. I ain't gonna lie. And then I just started listening to Rush all day. And, and um, then Rush released a statement. And when I read that statement, I bawled. That made me cry, big time. You know, basically, it's Alex and Neil saying, look, I mean, Alex and uh, Getty saying, you know, we lost our brother, and, you know, please respect the family during this time. 
you know, give them privacy. If you want to honor Neil, just uh, find the cancer charity of your choice and donate it in Neil's name. I read that and I just started crying, you know. And they were tight, man. Even after the, even after that, they were done. You know, they would hang out with each other and shit. You know, this wasn't a band that you know, like Motley Crue. You know that that hate each other. You know these right. guys, these three loved each other. They really did. And um, even after that, you know, no more business, no more touring, no more writing records. They still hung out with each other. And there's that great footage of them at the restaurant. You ever seen that footage? Oh, I love it. I it's love so it. good. Like you see, like Alex is the is is the is the complete goofball joker. Getty is like his his you know is just like soulmate because he gets all the jokes. And Neil is like so you know he's so serious and everything, but he couldn't help it because he loved Alex so much he would crack up too. You know, I think that's I think the only goofball on the planet that can make Neil laugh was Alex Life. You know, oh, yeah. And you can just tell the camaraderie they had. They were, they just were so in sync. Uh, they they were they were true brothers, and they, and they loved each other. You know, and you hit the nail on that. There's so many bands that fucking hate each other. You know that that tolerate each other because you know this guy puts cash in my pocket. You know, when I show up on stage with him, we make money, but we don't like each other. These are guys that truly loved each other and respected each other and you know I, I think the greatest um, show of respect was you know in, in the 90s when, when Neil you know first lost his daughter and then I think it was under a year later lost his wife you know he lost his daughter in a car accident then lost his, his wife to cancer uh, they put the band on hold and it wasn't like you know there, 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 there wasn't one guy going hey come on we gotta make some cash here you know no, uh, they were they they uh, quite the opposite. They fucking gave him space. Oh yeah, whatever he needed and when he was ready, they were there. You know, and they both did. You know, they did solo albums and they did all this, but you know they, you know they're not pressuring the guy. They said when you're ready, you know Rush can wait till you're ready because well, they, Rush, they, they, Rush well, actually, is the three of us. Actually, the truth is they thought it was over. You know. They right, didn't but, really but, think Rush was ever going to get back together until uh, Neil said, "Hey, you know what? I want to jam." Right, but they they did it with respect. I mean, there was no like you know like you know no no cash grab, no like uh, you know rage against the machine at Coachella, no fucking uh, Motley Crue. We're getting back together, you know uh, because we miss each other. Yeah, exactly. There's no bullshit like that. You know, th- th- these are just three guys who generally love making music together and playing together and respect each other as brothers and as human beings and. It, it's beautiful. I can't think of another band, really, other than Rush, uh, of a bunch of people that just generally love each other. You know, no lineup changes. You know, no, uh, no putting out. You know, uh, Portnoy and fucking, uh, uh, you know, Neil Peart makeup. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's three of them or it's nothing. You know, since since they first got together. You know. And uh, and he also and, and something very extremely important about Rush, and this goes back to even when they were struggling, they were all about the music. Because oh yeah. Because after Caress of Steel, the the record company said, "Dude, we need a hit. We need a bad company type song." And they said, "You know what? If they're gonna drop us, fuck it. Let them. Uh, uh, let's just do 
a fucking killer album and if they drop us whatever and they did 2112 which had no singles and the first side is, is a song you know and they uh, stuck to their guns and then after that you know it's like everybody left them alone and then they went you know prog crazy with Fairwater Hemispheres got influenced by the police yeah. and started doing shorter songs and more cohesive songs and you know I'm not gonna sit here and be a fucking bullshitter they lost me they lost me after Grace Under Pressure I didn't come back to uh, Counterparts but you know even though you know I can't say like the last album I mean as much as I love Clockwork Angels I'm a 70's Rush guy yeah. but it's a great album I think it's the best album they did after uh, Grace Under Pressure yeah, it's, it's a great one I, I love it Caravan. But, uh, oh yeah, B B two B or, or whatever yeah. the fuck that, that's what it's called. Yeah. Oh man, I lo- I love that shit and just just an amazing band. And it's funny because you know we were gonna do an episode uh, tonight. You know, you, you talked about that that we scrapped and our our first time recording in what's now the new roaring 20s and first time we recorded in a minute because of the holidays and shit going on and vacations and stuff and uh, I was all ready to do that and then when I saw this fucking you know I I was at work you know and you know I, I can't be on Facebook 24-7 you know and after a couple hours I check in and I saw it and I was like oh fuck you know and, and, and I think the first thing I saw was for, like from Fox News so I didn't believe it and then I saw it on CNN. I was like, "Oh, it must be true," and it just fucking took the the wind out of my sails, man. I was just like, "Oh my fucking god!" You know, a, a, a true legend, some something's you know, a, a person everybody respects. And you know, I was really taken back. Like you know, even when I got off work and I came home, and. I, I'm, I'm taking a shit and I got my phone with me and, and I go on Blabbermouth. And even on Blabbermouth, like the worst place in the world for, you know, a gathering of fucking assholes. And I didn't see one disrespectful post. I mean, everybody was just like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. You know, the, the, you know nobody being a smartass, nobody being a dickhead. Uh, just everybody like, oh, my God. You know. We just lost a, a, a fucking legend. Uh, yep. Very, very sad. There yeah. will be a cocksucker soon, though, because <clears throat> the thing is, Neil Peart was is such a big deal that we're going to see endless Neil Peart posts for a while, and some idiots out there are going to get pissed off and say something disrespectful because, you know, after all, you know, hey, look, this guy's getting too much attention, and I'm a nobody, so let me lash uh, out. But, but I but I I got I gotta say though it did restore a little bit of faith in you man because I I went because I was looking for this asshole because I, I was like okay let me find this guy find out where he lives and, and start a smear campaign I must have went through about sixty fucking posts on blabbermouth not one was disrespectful or smartass it was just all like sincere like oh fuck not and, today and 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 that. Yeah, but still, though, still, in this day and age of fucking trolls and assholes and shit like that, that that speaks volumes about the the respect this man was held in. You know, even people who don't like Rush, you know, and I, I saw a few people like, like Mr. T from Germany hated fucking Rush, hated fucking Rush, and, and, and put a very respectful post up, you know? 
And I, I thought what you said, you know, was incredible because you brought up a great point. He will be remembered uh, for his drumming, but not so much the fucking lyrics. And uh, what I think is really awesome, too, is his lyrics were all over the place because there's stuff that was um, very introspective, uh, you know, very sci-fi. But he also wrote what I consider one of the greatest love songs of all time uh, with Ghost of a Chance, you know, so he could cover a wide gamut uh, of, of stuff that, you know, I mean, the, the whole Rush Dome, there's a lot of different shit in there. You know. And if you want to know who Neil Peart was, read the lyrics of Limelight. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It, it, it describes him perfectly. I can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend. Yeah. I mean, he was feeling this way even back then. Oh, yeah. Know, with the whole, you know, look, I don't want to be a rock star. I, you know, I just want to play Fame Found Me. I didn't really want it, but he didn't Kurt Cobain it either, you know? Right. And he was always... You know, the odd man out. And he would talk about that as, you know, of course, you know, Rush first started out with John Rutsey on drums, who is incredible and deserves a lot of respect as well. Uh, but, you know, uh, Getty and Alex already had this bond that you can't break. And even though he was just as much of a brother, you know, they were like a clique and, and he was there. They, they were all brothers, but he was always like the odd man out. And he was a guy that, when they go on tour, he would get on his motorcycle and take his own trip and travel from town to town. And uh, while the other guys were on the bus, he's like, okay, this is the route. I'm going to take my motorcycle. I'm going to drive all day on my motorcycle. I'll meet you at the venue and just do his own thing. And it, it just the irony of a man this intelligent and thoughtful, you know, succumb to brain cancer, you know. That'd be the equivalent of me getting asshole cancer, <laughs> you know? I mean, this guy was so smart and so wise, so thoughtful. Um, man, and like I said, you know, I, I, I can't think of another band that was this close and this respectful of each other and remained uh, friends and brothers throughout the years. I mean, I, I, I really, I cannot think of another band uh, you know, that did that. I mean, I mean, the other band I can think of that like kept a lineup that long is ZZ Top, and I, you know, I, I think even you know Frank Beard is probably pissed off about not being able to play live drums since the seventies uh, on a studio record. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can't uh, count Aerosmith and Cheap Trick because those guys had lineup changes. They're back together, but yeah, but you fractured some parts. You see so many people doing it for the money, and you know, even even my beloved Van Halen, you know, when they got back together as Sands, Michael Anthony, uh, you know, I still don't think it was all roses, and you know, nobody's friends and hanging out. It's just like, hey, we're gonna do this, we're gonna make money. Uh, where these guys, it was friendship, it was love, it was it was respect, and uh, they also happened to make some of the greatest music of all time and they weathered every storm that was put in front of them uh you know they were never the number one band they were never the hippest band uh you know they they went through peaks and valleys but throughout it all they stayed together and their friendship never jumped on any trend 
No, just just did. I mean, they changed styles and they did different stuff, but it was all them. You know, it's just whatever they were feeling, whatever they did. And, you know, even the era where they got like real keyboardy and Alex wasn't that happy. He loved those guys so much he did whatever, you know, and shit goes and change. They stayed together and they, they just have what's so, so rare in the music business, integrity. You know, integrity and respect. And that shit doesn't pay off in the short game. That shit pay, pays off in the long game. That's why when these motherfuckers go out on tour, you know, especially the last, you know, 10, 15 years of their career, they're selling out. They're packing stadiums. And unlike KISS, they don't have to play secondary markets. You know, you know what I mean? They they stayed true, and, and, and the fans stuck by them, and they gained fans as they went along. Just amazing, and I'm so thankful you know, for the four times that I got to see him live and, uh, you know, the last time seeing him with you, you know, seeing him with, with Kobe who went with us, you know, my, 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 my friend's son, it was, it was such a magical night and, uh, you know, something I will never fucking forget. And out of all the times I saw him, I'd have to say the time we saw him together is my favorite. I mean, the first of course was magic. I mean, every time I saw him was magical, but, uh, the time I saw him with you and Kobe was so emotional for, you know, a lot of different reasons. Um, and, I, and I think we all knew. I mean, I mean, I, I pretty much think you knew and I knew. That was the last time we were going to see Rush. Yeah. And uh, it was just an incredible night. And, you know, uh, to, to think how we were separated at the beginning of the show. And, and then by the end of the show, all three of us are together you know enjoying i mean what a show that that last tour you know the way they they started you know at the newest stuff and went all the way back through their history and 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 the stage show they put on everything and you know rush is not known for their stage show but they really did something special for that you know that 40th anniversary tour and um i'm lucky man i'm damn 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 lucky to, to have seen that and uh Got to see him do Cygnus, Lakeside Park, What You Doing, you know, songs I've never seen him do live, so it was like, oh, I have to see this, you know. Oh, yeah. It was was a special night, man. It was was a a real deal. This band was the real, yeah, I can't think of any other band that was so honest. And this is a band that, you know, in interviews, they were like, look, you know, this might be it. I'm not saying it is, but you know, this, I, I, I would say this might be the last tour, our last go around doing this. You know, unlike other bands that fucking sign contracts and, you know, I, I, you know, like all this shit just brings so much more bitterness toward Motley Crue and Kiss thinking of this, you know, um, right. how this band like set the standards while Kiss and Motley Crue, all they do is try to convince you in interviews. They're like Rush, you know? Oh, we yeah. miss each other. Oh, this and that. Oh, we care about the fans. You don't care about... Rush cared about their fucking fans, dude. They oh, care yeah. about them because they never half-assed it. You know, in that documentary, there's that whole segment about, uh, I think, Time Stand Still, which I so recommend. You know, oh. the, what, what, that other one was great, too, the Limelight one, but I think Time Stand yeah. Still is better. 
was like much better because it 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 dedicated a large portion to the fans. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And those fans with the the little get-togethers they would have and those rush conventions. Yeah, they're nerds, but they don't go online attacking people like Kiss nerds and Motley Crue nerds. You know, they they're decent fucking people. You know, right. and that's who that's who they attracted. Yeah, I have yet to meet like fucking a dickhead rush fan. They're all right. fucking awesome. They're just right. good, decent people. And, and, and even even fans who disagree, like you know, like you know, yeah, you're you're not the minority. There's a lot of Rush fans that dipped out during different eras. Yeah, but, I did. I didn't go see them. But nobody is like uh, you know. You, and I've been on Rush fan boards, man, and it's 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 uh, you know very very little, if any, negativity. It's all That's just all positive. We- very respectful toward each other. Oh yeah, yeah, and they were they were a musicians band. I mean, they were they were all virtuosos at at, at their instruments, and uh, they just had integrity. And they changed, and when they did change, it was it was from what they wanted to do. It wasn't yeah. pressure, you know. It wasn't trying to appease the fans. It wasn't record label pressure. It's just like, hey, this is what I'm into now, and this is what I'm doing there, you know, and. Uh, you know, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't think they cared what the fans thought, and not in a bad way. They just thought, hey, we're staying true to who we are. That's what we're doing. If you like it, great. If you don't, hey, we still love you. You know, um, and 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 we also have to. I mean, this is very very important. Their manager, Ray Daniels responsible of the demise of Van Hagar. Yeah, oh yeah, that that's the second greatest <laughs> thing he ever did. That's but that's you beat me to it cuz I was going to bring that up. I was going to say he was my fourth favorite member cuz he killed yeah. the Hagar era of Van Halen. Yeah. Fucking uh, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I am taking a drink to Ray Daniels right now. Young <laughs> good. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. That guy is a pimp. He's yeah, yeah. Doing Van Hagar. He should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just for That's breaking right. up Van Hagar. Yeah, take Sammy out and add Ray. That that really burn him, huh? <laughs> Put Ray Daniels in there and take Sammy out. But uh, but yeah, man, th- th- this is this is a uh, a rough one to do, and unfortunately, I mean, I mean, we have to be realistic. There's going to be a lot more of these coming up, you know? Because I mean, it's crazy to even think about Neil Peart was fucking. 67 years old. That's not old, man. Oh, it's not It's not old, but to even say that is weird to me, because I don't, I don't picture him 67 years old, you know? But then again, I don't picture myself as, you know, 45 and a fucking half. And however fucking old you are, you know? Exactly. Um, you know, this shit's going to start happening more often. But will I mean, and, and and when it does happen, it's gonna be sad. But will it really hit me as hard as this one? Yeah, this is a rough one, man. This is a rough one, just because this is like Lemmy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Lemmy this, Rhodes. This is kind of like that. You know? Yeah, this 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 is a man of. It's true, a punch in the gut. This is a man of true integrity, and uh, it's it's really hard when when like the good people you know, pass, you know, this isn't a guy that, you know, uh, you know, this isn't Motley Crue or fucking, you know, somebody who abused themselves for years and you're like, well, that's par for the course. Uh, this is a man who pretty much lived a teetotaler life 
uh, but was an extraordinary musician. Well, he loved the weed, which was cool. Right, but I mean, that's teetotaler to me, weed. Well, you know, fuck that, dude. It's like, I should have no, passed you know, off. Uh, yeah, um, no? Saxon are teetotalers. Yeah. They're, they're, they're total teetotalers. This guy smoked weed at least. Right, but you know what well, I mean? used to. I don't know about it. This, this, this isn't a guy who, like, abused himself for years. No. You know? This this was uh, an intelligent, beautiful, accomplished, you know, man, you know, with respect and dignity. And you don't see that a lot in rock and roll. You know, you, you see a lot of guys who, uh, you know, even a lot of our favorite musicians, you know, probably make it on somebody else's back. Like somebody else wrote the music and they're just lucky enough to be in the band. Or, you know, they live the life like, yeah, you're, you know, luck, you're lucky you're still alive, you fucking prick. You yeah, know, like you I, listen. You listen to the first Rush album. It's night and day from Fly By Night. You oh know, yeah, by touring the Snow Dog and shit like that. It's like when they brought in Neil, they they gave him rain to be a contributor. Oh know? yeah, where a yeah. lot of people that get replaced, they come in and just do what you're told. And, and 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 I mean, just that alone, like the drummer, you know, is one of the main driving forces. Usually, the drummer is like the dumbest motherfucker. You know, like like him and the bass player flip a coin. For who is the most yeah. replaceable member? And, and you think about it, like you know, not that he's dumb, but if you were to take an IQ test, I'd say Alex would score lowest. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Alex, in my mind, is another virtuoso that's totally underrated. Uh, you know? I, I, I watched today. I never watch my videos, but last last month, I started a new segment on my YouTube channel called Classic Albums, yeah. and the very first one I picked was Exit Stage Left. And I did say that during that. I go, man, because Neil and Getty are so goddamn talented, they kind of take the spotlight away from Alex, who's really, I think, is right there with them. You I know, do, too. The, the same with Alex Van Halen. You know, I feel the same. It's like, because of his brother, he doesn't yeah. really get the respect he deserves. I agree a thousand. And I don't, think, I don't think Alex gets that respect. And I think he's just... Man, watching Xanadu on Exit Stage Left, what he does on that song. Now, I mean, the whole band, really. But, man, Alex is, like, killing it, man. And this is, you know, and what we're going to do in this episode, we're going to talk about the Rush Discovery. We're going to celebrate all three members, well, four members, uh, including John Rusty, yeah. uh, of the greatness. Because, you know, John Rusty we lost as well and should yeah. not be overlooked. No, no, not at all. Not was at all. Amazing. He, he was the guy that talked between songs. Yeah. You know, he was a yeah. damn good drummer. He was a hard rock drummer. Not a progressive guy, but he did he did the job. You know? Well, I I, I mean, you know, yeah, we'll get into it when we get into it, but I got to say the first Rush album is probably in my top 5 of all Rush albums. Well, so yeah, mine too. It's up that, there. You know, that, up that, there. that that that's something in and of itself, you know, but I I know, you know, tonight we're you know, we're all about Neil and we're talking about Neil, but uh that yeah, that takes nothing away from John Rutsey. We I should just... we should we should we already talked about Neil and we'll continue talking about Neil, but we should glorify everybody in this band. Because seriously, yeah. you can get your Neil Pert up there without Getty and Alex and it won't have the same impact. Right. You know, uh, and, they they all needed each other. And they like all we... made rush. We, we mentioned earlier, I mean, fuck. I mean, I mean you know, if we're being completely 100% honest, uh, uh, my favorite member is uh, Ray Daniels. 
<laughs> you know, just for breaking up Van Hagar. Yeah. You know, it puts him a little bit above Neil. I love Neil, but uh, Neil didn't break up Van Hagar. But uh, I don't know, man. I don't know who the hell I love more in Rush. I think I love them all three equally. I love them all for different oh, uh, Yeah, you know, and, 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 and like we mentioned earlier, I love John Rutsey just as much, man, because what, what he added in that vibe to the first album was fucking amazing. Amazing. Yeah, he was a badass drummer, man. And then and there's no other Rush album that sounds like the first Rush album. There's no, no other Rush album. That's I where don't. you can say, okay, they kind of sound like Led Zeppelin a little bit. Not a oh, lot. Yeah. Not oh. Greta Van Fleet Led Zeppelin, but you can hear the influence. Yeah. But you love- can hear a little bit of Jimi Hendrix and, and Blue Cheer in that music as well. And Creep. Oh. You can hear all that combined oh, yeah. there. And even The Who. To some extent, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, but, that's, it's just amazing. But I think the reason why it gets a lot of Led Zeppelin thing is because of Getty's voice being very high, like Robert Plant at times. Right. So that's what where that comparison comes in. Because man, I wasn't around back then, but looking at all the reviews and interviews and the history yeah. of Rush, that first album, everybody's like, "Oh, Led Zeppelin ripoff." You know. Well, well, it's definitely the most bluesiest Rush album, I would say, too. You know. You know, they, I think they definitely got more. You, you know, you hear English blues on the first Rush album, where you know uh, they they turn into like a heavy metal yes, you know, afterwards. Yeah. Well, well, since we're talking about it, let's just get into discography and continue talking about the first Rush album, which uh, I will say, I bought this album because I heard Working Man on the radio. And I'll never forget first hearing Working Man where I said to myself, oh my God, you know, this Saturday, I remember it vividly. This Saturday, I got to go mow a couple lawns. With that money, I'm buying that first rush out. Because uh, I was a movie freak at the time. I remember this so vividly. I, I, I would go to the movies and then I would go to the, there was a Woolworths. And that, you know, back then, they weren't called strip malls. But, you know, the theater had connecting stores next to it and... Woolworth had that first Rush album, so I was like, "Oh man, when I mow those lawns, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy this," you know. And I did, and I bought that album. I already own Hemispheres. I think, uh, I think that's it. I think that's. I could be wrong, but I know Rush album. The first Rush was one of the first ones I bought, and you know, I was like, you know, I wasn't aware of Caress of Steel or Fly by Night or. 2112 or Farewell, so you know, it was drastically different than Hemispheres, but I don't know, I guess as a kid and not being so well-versed in music yet, I didn't listen to the song going, wow, this don't sound like Hemispheres. Um, but, oh man, what an outstanding album. A great, great, awesome, classic, hard rock album. You know, Finding My Way, Here Again, What You Doing, the Dark Horse on the album, Before and After, and uh, of course, Working Man, In the Mood, Take a Friend, I mean, Need Some Love, it's just, every song on here I fucking love, you know? Uh, I think they've done better albums, but it is a great, great, fantastic album, and our friend Eve from New York, that this is her favorite Rush album. I love her. Yeah, she always points to the first Rush album as her favorite. So that's uh, what I think of the first album, Ian. Uh, well, I fucking love this one as well. Um, 
Oh, wait, uh, and I hate to cut you off, but I also want to say, highly recommend a 200-gram box of this album. You know, there's no bonus shit on it. It's just the album, but it brings posters, postcards, and, you know, cool little book, and, you know, it's just a great, great... I got, I'm got. i going to play that shit when I edit this. Uh, the 200-gram is, is something that you should order, Ian, if you don't have it yet. Yeah, no, I didn't get that. I, I saw it when I was at your house, and it was amazing. Yeah. Did I play it while you were here? I think I did, didn't I? Uh, did I open it up for you? I, I think you opened it up, but I don't think we played it. Okay. But, uh, no, this, this is definitely, like I said, probably in my top five um, fucking Rush albums, man. I, I love this one. And I think what drew me to this... Uh, even before I, I heard Working Man, which I, I love. Um, and I, I could be wrong on this. I'm trying to do uh, I'm trying to do some research here, but I'm not finding it. But my friend Mike Zeller, who was very instrumental in, you know, my discovery of Rush, other than you know, like I heard a few songs on the radio, but he's the one who got me into Rush with Presto. Uh, but I believe he had the VHS of Show of Hands, which I, I, I wasn't... Well, we'll get into that when we get into it. But I believe on the video for Show of Hands, they play in the mood. I don't think yeah, it's on the... Yeah, yes, they do. Yeah, okay. It's not on the live album, but it's on the VHS. They sure love that song. And, and I was like, wow, I like that, because to me it stood out from everything else on that, because I thought, you know... The rest of that video, it was the keyboard air of Rush. And I was like, eh, I'm not really feeling this. And then when they kicked it in the mood, I was like, ooh, ooh, I like that. So I want to say after Presto, the first one was the one that I bought. And just fell in love with it. And yeah, I mean, there's total uh, Zeppelin worship and cream worship. And, it, was you know, a, it was at the time, you know, the time. This oh, is yeah. the one. This is the one Rush album you can point at. All right, this is the one time they did. They kind of, but you know, you got to remember they're kids, they're, right? They're and, young, and, you know. And, and everybody's first album, you wear your influences on your sleeve, and, and they haven't bumped into Neil Peart yet, you know. Yeah, Fuck yeah, and, change them. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I mean, even if if they would have stayed like this, you know, with this lineup, I would be a fan. Because I thought it was incredible. I mean, fuck, I'll, I'll take the fucking first Rush album over fucking uh, In Through the Outdoor, <laughs> you know? If you want to talk about Zeppelin worship, I, I mean, you know, they, this is great shit. Uh, an amazing album. And, and, and something, you know, uh, I want to do as we go through uh, this shit album through album, pick our favorite songs off of this. And... Uh, you know, there, there's part of me that, that that really wants to pick Working Man because I, I mean it's just an incredible masterpiece. But if I gotta pick one, I'm gonna go with In the Mood because I still love this song to this day. Every, anytime I hear it or they play it, I get happy, and that's what made me check out the album. So I'm gonna take In the Mood as my favorite track off the album. How about you, Ralph? Working Man, um, uh, hands down. Yeah. Uh, my all-time, maybe it's because the, it's the first song I heard off the radio. And, you know, a very close second for me would be Before and After. No, I think that it. song is so grossly underrated. 
Well, I, I this whole album is all killer, no filler. I don't think there's a bad what song. What you're in this doing? Album. Oh yeah. Probably my third favorite oh, thing in the movie. Take a friend, take need a some friend. love. Oh my god. Finding my way. Oh, I mean, it, it, it's all fucking amazing. And something that you know, uh, we gotta discuss too. That first Rush album created quite a buzz. I believe I could be wrong on that, but I believe it was Cleveland. Yes, that that played Working Man. Yes. Yeah, and it really did uh, resonate with and, a lot of people. And it was a chick. It wasn't a yes, dude. It, it was, was a girl. Chick. Yeah. Yeah. That that and they they did a tour. I don't uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it with John Rusty? Because I know Neil was with them on the first Rush album tour. Uh, uh, I, I believe I believe he did do some dates. No, he did. He did join him on the tour. But you see, John Rusty was diabetic and had a lot of health issues back then. Right. And that played a major role in his replacement. But, um, you know, he he couldn't handle the rigors of the road. And they soon find that out. So, you know, they got. And God, what what a stroke of luck. You know, that's fate, man. You know, to get Neil Perk. You know, out of everybody on this planet, you find that guy. Yeah. To turn them into like the Rush, you know. Look, <clears throat> for the most part, everybody loves Rush with Neil. You know, right? Uh, uh, there, you know, there's some that would point like Eve. Uh, this is the best, but not a lot of people. You know, look at you. Right. It's in your top five. It's in my right. top five. It's not my favorite, but you know. Right. But, but, but but you know, there, there's a lot. I mean, let's be honest. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, new voice. You know, uh, Rush fans. I don't even know that there is an album without Neil Peart, <laughs> you know. Well, that, those are casual fans, not the true Rush fans. Right, right. But what, what I'm what I'm saying though is, you know, and, and that makes up for uh, a population. I mean, there's people who, who don't even know about John Rutsey, and that's a damn shame because he deserves respect and uh, he did a hell of a job. Yeah, we lost him, man. Yeah, and, and, we and, lost and, and, him uh, back in uh, 2008. Yeah, and and I I love that you know I can't remember which Rush documentary it was, but that the, they did show love to him, and uh, you know that's all, it just shows you what a class act this band was, man. you know, no no trash talking, no like I I, I mean you know that, I mean look what they got with Neil, but they never disrespected John, you know, nope. and always you know paid tribute to what he did while he was in the band, and and that's awesome, man. That's yeah, respect. they always played Working Man and. In the oh, mood, yeah. a lot of times, we oh, yeah. played a lot. In the mood was played a lot. You know, I remember right. that Signals tour, Great Under Pressure, and uh, oh uh, yeah, that that would always be like around the end of the show, around the encore, you'd get that. Always, it was always loved in the it. Loved it. I mean, it, it's just I, I love the funk and the and then the swag of it. And I mean, it's just, it's just a fun song, man. It's such a non-rush song, you know, yeah. what they became. Yeah, like 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 Working Man, I I think that works in all eras of Rush, but yeah. something like in in the mood that's that's kind of distinct of of the first album. You know, the first time I saw Rush, Moving Pictures tour, they played a reggae version of Working Man, and I'll never forget. I was with my friend Angel Marlowe, who's on my on my uh, Facebook still. He's still my buddy. He's the one that pointed it out. He's like, dude, that's Working Man, because I was like, what the hell are they playing? They're playing some reggae song. <laughs> and they, they did a reggae version of Working Man, but then they went into the... They did the full song. Yeah. But they did oh, like an no. intro. <laughs> yeah, they did it, you know, working, uh, you know, punching in, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, 
go to work at night, dinky dink, you know. Then they went into down, 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 down. You know, but I'm telling you, it was about like maybe a minute and a half to two minutes of a reggae verse. <laughs> I get up at seven, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, what? And you know, there's uh, what we saw in. Um, what was the name of that song? It was the final song they played that night. That wasn't on the first Rush album. It was a pre-Rush album song. Oh, uh, oh, what's the name of that man? Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. That that's what they they had it stripped down to where they're playing in the gymnasium and shit. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I have an old bootleg of Rush back then, and they played "Bad Boy" from uh, the Beatles. Now, Junior, behave yourself. That song they that right. was in the set list. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was. I had that bootleg some, and it's a, it's like a soundboard. Doesn't sound I, like shit. I, I gotta check, dude, because I've I've got like fucking thirty. Yeah, me too. Rush bootlegs, man. I got so many Rush bootlegs. I have I have so many Rush bootlegs thanks to our uh, our member of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast Facebook page, Ron Dimer, who yes. sent me a shitload of them in jewel cases. Yeah, like official bootlegs. You know, like not official bootleg, but you know what I'm saying, like bootleg companies that made CDs. Right, right. I have a bunch of them. Permanent Waves Tour and shit like that. Hemisphere oh, yeah. Tour. Oh, yeah. Dirt Mitts kicks ass. Yeah, I love that guy. Billy Joe Jim Bob. He probably <laughs> won't like me saying that, though. <laughs> he don't like people much. But I no. think he secretly likes me and you. Yeah, yeah, k- kind of. He, he's still on the fence about me, but I know he loves you. <laughs> he's a good guy. <clears throat> a little opinionated, but hey, aren't we all? Yes, we are. Uh, well, uh, you. yeah, no shit. Well, let's take that opinion to the next record, 1970, their first album of 1975, Fly By Night. What you think about this one? You know, for the longest time, I thought this was their third album. Uh, I thought Caressa Steel was their second one, because look at that album cover. Don't it look like a debut album? <laughs> and Fly By Night doesn't. Oh, Fly By Night, man. I uh, Again timeline is screwed up when it comes to Rush. I don't recall the first time hearing this album. I am almost 100% positive I owned All the World of Stage before this. But holy fuck, man, the opening track. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Anthem is like one of their greatest songs. One of their heaviest songs. One of their most kick-ass songs. And again, like uh, Before and After, to me, the dark horse on this album, Beneath, Between, and Behind. Wow, what a song. And how mind-blowing is it that it appears on Exit Stage Left? Oh, yeah. You know, that's that's like a mind-blower. And a great version, too. Great, yeah, yeah, great, great version. And uh, By Tour, of course. Yes. Uh, and the memory. Snow Dog. Yeah, it's their, and that's like the first real Rush song. It's like, you know, because best I can, you can you can trace that to the first album. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that, that I can see on the first album. But Anthem and... Uh, beneath between, even though it's not proggy, it's different yeah. than the first Rush album because it's more technically incredible. You know, uh, the first Rush album was loose. This shit's tighter than a nun's asshole. It's so good, and of course, in the end, and Rivendell. I mean, this is a no filler album, and what Neil does on Bytor is ridiculous. You know, I was listening right when you called. I was listening to. Uh, the amazing, another thing I, I highly recommend, the Fairwater Kings box set. Oh, yeah, brings, I could hear it. 
the full show of Hammersmith, which was released on what was the name of that live album? Uh, di- different sides. No. Di- di- uh, different stages. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, that yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Different stages. Well, it's missing a song or two. The vinyl right. brings it all. Right. And the version of Bytor on on that album, like that little break where then Neil does a little drum solo. Oh my! On that version, it's insanity. I mean, as good as it is on this vinyl. As good as it is on All the World to Say, dude, the version on Hammersmith is just fucking ludicrous. Oh, that's a, uh, it's a great live album, man. Great wow, but th- that, th- those drum fills, man, are just insanity, you know? But, wow. Uh, uh, Fly By Night, it's up there, man. It's one of my favorites as well. I love this album. This is a no-filler album. Oh, yeah. I love uh, it. This this one uh, I, I kind of agree with you. I can't pinpoint when I got this. Uh, my my first introduction to this album with a lot of old school Rush, you know, and and you got to look at timeline. My first Rush album was Presto, even oh, though God. yeah, even even though I had heard you know like you know Tom Sawyer of course and Limelight you know and Free Will and stuff like that on the radio. My first Rush album was Presto, uh, and then the next album after Presto was Chronicles. You know, oh, it, yeah. And you know why I bought Chronicles, Ian? Why is that? Because back then, uh, they omitted a track off of uh, 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 All the World's Stage, World's Stage and All the World's Stage. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was the song off All the World's Stage that was left off? Uh, I can't remember. But I bought that CD. I mean, I had everything. But, yeah, it had Passage of Bangkok from uh, from uh, uh, Exit Stage Left that wasn't on the CD. And there yeah. was a song from uh, from All the World of Stage omitted as well, and they uh, put them both on what, there. What, you, what you're doing? What was you're doing? it what you're doing? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both of them aren't. Because remember back in the day, man, when they first released CDs, they were yeah. it was hey, a double album. They take yeah. that song out. Exit Stage Left had uh, Passage to Bangkok, which was cut off. Yeah. yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, and what you're doing was off All the Worlds. So I was like, oh, that's on there. Oh, I'm buying Chronicles. Yeah. Because yeah. what's the point of buying it if you own? I owned everything except you know right. some but, of those but, songs that I don't care know, for. You know, to, to to me, I I was a new, you know, I was a new listener, so oh, it was it's like, great. It's great it, for it, it, yeah, for for me as a second Rush album, getting Chronicles was fucking mind blowing. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like wow, wow, and how different it was from Presto. And I love, you know, spoiler alert, I love Presto. But, you know, this being my second Rush album, holy shit, was my mind blown, you know? Yeah, I'm looking at the track listing now. Yeah, it's cool to have it, you know, you get your Find Your Way, Working Man, Anthem, oh, yeah. Fly By Night, Bastille Day, you know, yeah, some good, it represents, you know, the early era really, really good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. But, uh, you know, I, I love it, and... Uh, Again, you're right. I mean, there's actually there's no bad song on this. It's amazing. Uh, oh boy, picking picking a favorite off of this though, that is fucking. I have to go with Anthem. Anthem, okay. I I love Anthem. I have uh, I have two in mind for this, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do my runner up. My runner up is the title track. Because that's something that made me pick up a guitar. 
and uh, and and I would play that over and over. You know, I do the John 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 like that. I could get down, but then it was like do 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 do. You know, then I of course I'd fuck that up. I would get frustrated, and, and I would play a Sabbath riff. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I love that. But if I had to pick. An all-time favorite is a song I posted today in Neil's honor, and that would be In the End. Yeah, uh, I love that song, too. Uh, just a beautiful, you know... Uh, it, it's just, To me, that song just has everything. It, it, you know, it has power, it has majesty, it's kind of, you know, there's, there's a romance to it. You know, there's just... It's just... Uh, God damn incredible. I love in the end. And uh, then we'll go to the next album, which was released. Uh, should be noted that Fly By Night was released February 15th of 1975. But they weren't done with 1975 because they would come back in September 24th, to be exact, with Caress of Steel. Now, Caress of Steel... I'll say was probably my hardest album to get into out of the 70s. Uh, this one requires a lot of patience. And, uh, you know, I, I, I loved having Chronicles. I loved the Steel Day. I love Lakeside Park. But, uh, you know, I, I, shit, I, I love Think I'm Going Bald. Uh, but Necromancer and Fountain of Lament, uh, required a lot of patience that I didn't have as a teenager who thought Kiss was the be-all end-all. This stuff was very uh, foreign to me and very like, wow, you know, this isn't, you know, fuck me, suck me, Christine 16 shit. You know, this is is something else. And it took me years and years uh, to really absorb this album. And I'll still say to this day, this is my least favorite 70s album. Not to say that I don't love it, because I do. Uh, But, you know, it it took me maturing uh, as a music lover to appreciate all of it. Um, So, I I, I still love it, but like I said, it's my least favorite. What do you think of Crescent Steel? Yeah, it's hard for me to say it as well, because... Now I think about it, yeah, it probably is my least favorite, but God, I love this album. Um, again, looking at the track listing now, because I'm with you here, Ian, I'm Wikipedia too. Uh, I love every song on this album, and I think I'm going bald is another one you can, you know, put on the first album. Which is funny because that's them making fun of going blind. Yeah, exactly. And, and they, were, they were touring with Kiss. And uh, in the documentary, when uh, they played this for Paul, he didn't get it. They played this album for him. He was like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, but, oh my God, this album fucking rules, man. Bastille Day. It's up there with Anthem. What a great opener. Uh, you know, it's kind of like Anthem Part 2. very fucking heavy. And, uh, you know, this is like heavy metal rush, you know. And uh, the Necromancer... <sighs> That song right there, I mean, is one of the greatest Rush songs ever. And we want to talk about probably the most dark horse, the most underrated Rush song with Before and After would be The Necromancer, um, which is my favorite track off this album. Uh, Fountain of Lament is awesome, too. Um, 
it's just it, it's a great album you know it's you know to say it's my least favorite from the 70s is not giving it justice because i absolutely right. love this album and I, I don't dislike any song on here found a lament uh, there are some parts that get a little out there for me but i can hang you know right. but you know i can hang with it but man the necromancer from you know God, what is it, like 12 minutes and 34 seconds long of fucking brilliance. You know, I just absolutely love that song. And that would have been one I would have loved to see live, is the Necromancer. Oh, yeah. What oh, an yeah. amazing, amazing song. So, yeah, my favorite would be Necromancer. Bastille Day, a very close second, though. Lakeside right. Park, though, man. Jeez. Well, well, I was just going to say that. If we're going to my favorite, uh, you know, and probably I'll get some hate for this. Lakeside Park's my favorite song on this album. No, I, I, it's very understandable. It's a, it's a great fucking song. I mean, I, I just, you know, through Chronicles, um, I fell in love with this song. And and they played it live in New Orleans. Oh, man. Only time I saw them play Lake, Lakeside Park. Oh, my God. So, so fucking good. And, and, and a, l- a little bit different for them. And, and you know, and, that, and that's hard to say with Rush. You know, like, oh, yeah. something's a little bit different because they've done so much different shit. But there's just something about this, and I love the breakdown. You know, we, we gathered on the poor on the park, and you know, the month of July. You know, yeah. uh, I, I, I don't know. display. Yeah, Oh man, I, I, I just, I, I think it's it's a beautiful song, and uh, and this is something I, I would say to like anybody else who has you know trepidation about this album or, or finds it you know a hard listen. Just give it time. Give it repeated listens because there's so much awesomeness to find in Necromancer and, and you know, Found a Lament, you know, uh, because, you know, Bastille Day and I think I'm going bald and Lakeside Park, you know, they're all much easier to digest than, than the last two songs. But, I mean, they're very rewarding, but it does, it takes patience and I believe maturity, uh, you know, but hey, maybe 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 there's some girls out there who mature faster than boys who love those songs. Uh, but yeah, my least favorite '70s album. But again, like we talked about before, that's like the least favorite blowjob you came to. So you know, it's still fucking awesome. But uh, then we go into the next album, the one that made Rush what they are, and uh, to many people is the gold standard. And that is the epic, epic twenty one twelve. Holy fucking shit! Um, such an amazing masterpiece. And I mean, you really want to talk about an all killer, no filler? It's this. And t- today, you know, once I found out about Neil's passing, immediately. You know, and I found out I had, like, about an hour and a half left of work. And I got my little fucking earbud in, and I'm listening to this while I'm working, which I'm not supposed to. Uh, hopefully, I don't think any of my bosses listen to this show, but... Uh, you know, I put on nothing but Rush. But when I put on, you know, of course, the title track, I couldn't believe how fast it went by. <laughs> I mean, it's such an epic long track. You know, 20 minutes... But it, uh, you know, it went, it went by like nothing, and I was just like overcome with emotion, and and just I never get sick of this song. 
I, I remember playing this on my radio show. I was just, you know, I, I think that's even when I was on that other station. I was just like, fuck it. I'm playing 2112 in its entirety, and I don't give a fuck. And uh, so many of the listeners were like, fuck yeah. And they, they were with me all along. And it's just an epic fucking masterpiece. And really set them apart from all the other bands at the time. I mean, there, I mean, there was definitely, in the 70s, you had your progressive bands. I mean, you had shit like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. And you had Yes. Uh, but nothing that came as close to heavy metal as Rush did with this. You know, you know, a lot of these other, you know, you know, Jethro Tull had a lot of epic tracks that were long, like Thick as a Brick and shit like that, you know, but they're all a little tutti fruity and shit. This is some straight up rock and metal in a, in a fucking 20 minute song, and it is fucking godly. And, and I, I mean, even you take that away, side two of this album is fucking amazing and life changing. Uh, again, uh, all killer, no filler. This is a perfect fucking album. I mean, a perfect fucking album. Um, amazing. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm at a loss for words to say how incredible this is. And this should be in everybody's fucking music collection. I don't care, you know, you Oh, I like cock rock. Oh, I like grindcore. I don't, I don't give a fuck what you're into. If you don't appreciate the majesty of this fucking album, uh, I really don't respect your opinion. I'm sorry. Because uh, this this is just perfection. Perfection. <clears throat> Absolutely love it. What do you think, Ralph? Yeah, it's my favorite Rush album. Hands down. Um, and I think it's everybody's favorite. They just don't want to admit it. They don't want to be like, you know... They want to be countercultural, like you, Ian, right? It's not your favorite? Um, Pickle Whistler. But, you know, the first time I fucking no, heard I, this I, song... I, I, I would have to say, I would have to say ser- seriously, I mean, I mean to cut you off, and I'm not sorry. Uh, if you had to go track for track, song for song, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think you can beat 2112. I, I really don't. And they have some amazing albums. Uh, but track for track. No, you can't beat 2112. It's their best no, album. It's their best album. There you go, Ian. You finally said something that made sense. Yeah, to you. Uh, <laughs> well, to me in science. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what a headphone album. Woo. Oh my god, yes. You know, especially side one. I mean, that's total headphone shit. And, uh, you know, I was so into this album when I first got it. And I did get this I'd, I'd say my maybe like 82, 81, 82. I got this a little later. Uh, I, I, I owned um, moving pictures before this. I know that for a fact. But I knew 2112. I knew the whole side one because it's on the live album. And um, something for nothing I knew. Uh, and uh, But man, when I, I remember the first... Well, let me just say the first time I saw Rush on the moving pictures tour. They open with 2112. And just imagine this scene, Ian. The fucking, all the lights go down on the arena. People yelling. All of a sudden, you hear that intro. And they had a big screen behind them. And it was the picture of the naked man in front of the star. And it was tiny. And it just kept kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Then when it reached like the full screen, 
You want to talk about the perfect opening song for a Rush concert? Oh my god. Overture and Temple series. They fucking killed it. What was that all they played though? Was Overture and Temple? Or yeah. They... No, oh, yeah. They, they played Passage of Pancock. Well, no, 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 no. What I mean, no, what they, I didn't mean play, is... they didn't play side one. They played the grand finale though at okay. the end of the show. Well, before the encore yeah. that we have assumed control. They did that part, you know, which you can see in the. Um, uh, exit stage left home video. Yeah, <clears throat> they do. They do add the grand finale part. So yeah, that's how they would end their set, and then they come back and do in the mood. But um, yeah, man, wow, this and the Twilight Zone. Uh, oh, would, don't would get me the, started. Don't get me started. Would be the dark horse on this one. You know, all, all these albums so far have you have the Necromancer be, beneath, beyond, between, and before and after, and then this one, the Twilight Zone, to me is the you know, but I do have one negative thing to say about my favorite Rush album. Oh my God! <clears throat> the box set, which I got the box set as well. I yeah. can't say, man. Alice in Chains did a better version of Tears than Rush. My opinion. I love. I love. I'll, 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 I'll have to go back and listen to that. Oh my God! What they do to it because they add that Alice in Chains vocal melody thing to right. it. It just works so much better for me. I always loved Tears. Tears has always been my least favorite on here, but I still like the song. But when I heard Alice in Chains do it, and it's very rare to hear a song I've lived for for three decades, you know, and and counting, uh, to hear a song somebody covered that I actually like more. But wow, that's saying something, and 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 I respect your opinion. So I'm going to check that out after this episode. Oh my God, the way they do that. Where Cantrell comes in with yeah. Al or whatever that guy's name is. Yeah, wait, they, William Duvall, yeah. They do they, they do the harmony part. What what makes me see tears that fall from eyes? That part. Wow, man, it really mm, it's just fucking amazing. Well something you, nothing rules. If you gotta pick a favorite, what's your favorite? Oh, hands down, overture. Side one. Okay. You know, hands down. And as much as I love side two, I got to go with 2112. All right. Well, that, that that's a tough one for me. Uh, actually, it's it's between three songs for me on this. And, and this is still pulling fucking teeth. And as much as I love 2112, and, and that's a hard one to overlook, the two that are really neck and neck for me is Twilight Zone and Lessons. I I am a huge Lessons fan. Like, you didn't listen again. Oh my God, that is so heavy and so godly. But I will say, there are certain songs uh, in my life that were what I would consider a religious experience. Uh songs like I'll Never Forget and I've talked about it on, on the show before hearing uh, Over the Hills and Far Away for the first time uh, you know and, and other songs and, 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 and being stoned and driving around listening to Gonna Raise Hell by Cheap Trick um, but I would say something that really changed the trajectory of my whole life is being very, very high on reefer 
and listening to Twilight Zone with fucking headphones. With that whispering. Oh my god, that is the best part ever. And to this day, like, and I'm I I, I don't partake too much in the marijuana. Uh, but when I do, I want to put on headphones and listen to Twilight Zone. And just because of its impact on my life, I have to take Twilight Zone as uh, my favorite track on this album. Oh, my God. <coughs> Alpha love- Passage as a close second and Twilight Zone. Oh, I love that one, too. Well, since we are doing, I want I to do a full full discography here. I don't want to skip shit. I don't want to just do the studios. I want to do the live albums because I want to talk about what is my personal favorite live album by Rush and that's All the World's a Stage. Uh, Record on the 2112 tour. Uh, This is definitely the rawest fucking uh, Rush live album. Record at Massey Hall in Toronto. Uh, I, I I just think it is fucking great. I love this one. Uh, you know, a lot of people... I, I think to most people it's between this and Exit Stage Left. I know you're an Exit Stage Left guy. Yeah, most people and, would say all the world's a stage, though. And, and, and I love Exit Stage Left. I take nothing away from it. I don't, I don't think Rush... You know, ever made a bad live album. Uh, there's definitely one that's my least favorite, but I still like it. But we'll get to that when we get to it. Uh, but this is my favorite just because this is just like raw, angry, nasty, hungry fucking rush. Um, if I had to pick a favorite song off of this, oh God, that's a tough order. I would say my favorite song would be the mixture of Working Man and Finding My Way. What, what do you think of Exit Stage Left? I mean, oh, uh, I love it. I, I love All the World's a Stage. I bought that way back, you know, before I had 2112 and a bunch of those albums. Oh, really? You had this one before? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, because, you know, in the 70s, you know, live albums was the shit. Oh, and they were great. They were great. Yeah, you, because you back were... then you didn't have videos. You lived it. You you, you pictured it in your mind. And right. that album is so awesome because it's three panels with a bunch of like fucking band pictures. You can stare out for hours listening to this album. Um, I it'd be hard for me to pick a favorite. It, it'd be probably Bastille Day and Anthem. I would put them together, but it's hard because the whole album. I love. As much as I was gushing over By Tour on um, that Hammersmith, I love when they do By Tour on this. And I love in the end. Yeah. On this as well. Yeah. And, oh, 21. I mean, the whole album. But yeah, I guess the way it starts is my favorite part of the album. It just starts like all guns blazing with Bastille Day going right into Anthem. Yeah, I think that would be my favorite part of this album. Something for Nothing's on here. Uh-huh. Uh, nah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic album. It's just, and I'll get into it later, but there's just something so special about Exit Stage Left for me. And um, that I'd, I'd have to pick that one over this, but nothing against this one. I love, absolutely love All the World's a Stage. It's fucking great, and it's a must-have. All right, well, why don't you take the next album, the, the studio album that would follow 2112, and uh, 
one that would continue what a lot of people consider the golden era of Rush, 1977's A Farewell to Kings. Definitely my second favorite. And there's another one coming up that's almost tied with it. And sometimes I think it's even better than this one, but no. And I listened to this today. I listened to that whole box set. So you rudely interrupted me to do this damn podcast. But I was listening <laughs> to this whole fucking, you know, I put the, the album on and I was on already on side uh, two on the live album when you called, but um, which I will continue after this. But uh, my second favorite album, man, from Rush is A Farewell to Kings. And we did review it. Yes. Uh, I remember we did an episode on it. And I wasn't too kind to Magical. And I still feel that way. I still feel it's like my... I, I like it. And I even said that in the podcast. I do like the song. But, yeah, it's not one of my favorites. But uh, Xanadu and the title track, you know. Um, you know, to be countercultural, I can say, look, Cygnus X1 is my favorite track off the album. Because it fucking rules very hard. Oh, but yeah. I'm sorry, I cannot take away the fucking magic. Of Xanadu. That song is fucking God. And I, I, well, I'll say it later, but man, I love this fucking album so much. Cinderella Man, Closer to the Heart. Cygnus S1 is such an epically amazing fucking song. I bought that Record Stay exclusive that just brought Cygnus X1 and Hemispheres Book Two. It's oh, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, I saw that, and I was like, ah, it's a record exclusive, I gotta get this. But, and, you know, one of the main motivations to go to fucking New Orleans was they, they added that to the set list. Right. You know, and I was like, I gotta go see this. Closer to the heart, those lyrics on that song are just so fucking beautifully done, you know. Um, what a great, fantastic album. And, you know, this is what I saw on HBO. I remember seeing the video for Fairwater Kings and Xanadu uh, on HBO back then and being blown away by it. And I love those videos. I love, I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I love those satin robes. You know, I, I know they even hated it, but I love the way they dressed back then. It was so fucking 70s. You know, the satin look, you know. It was just so cool. You know, the fucking Getty with like kind of like a satin robe. And uh, the bangs with the long ass hair and the big ass nose, and uh, and you know Xanadu, there he is playing bass, singing, and playing keyboards at the same time. Guys, a one man band, you know. Uh, Xanadu, yeah, and they played that at uh, well, they oh, played yeah. that on the the movie picture store too. Right. But uh, I don't know. I, I think they did play that maybe on Snakes and Arrows or or um, what's the one? One small victory that album. The one with the fireball? Yeah. Uh, Vapor Trails. Vapor Trails. Though. Yeah, I, I think one of those, they played that song too. Xanadu, they did bring out back from the set list. But it's one of my favorite Rush songs. It'd be probably in my top five. Absolutely love that song. Love the beginning. Love what Alex does on the guitar. And, you know, Neil hitting those little... Tuk, 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 you know, those little things going on. Oh, yeah. And just when the song kicks in with that, oh man, it's just so epic. And you hear that, the sound effects and shit. This is a brilliant album. I absolutely love Farewell to Kings. My second favorite uh, Rush album. Um, I, I, I do love this one as well. I think you love it a little bit more than me. Um, 
where I think this album suffers for me is a song like I really never want to hear again, and that's closer to the heart. I'm just I, I've never been a big fan of that song. I don't think it's a horrible song, but for whatever reason, it's just never connected with me like the way it's connected to millions of other people. I know I'm Hello. On, yeah, I, I know I'm on the, the the fringe there. There's just something about that. It's just never ever been one of my favorite songs. And I know like you uh, for you, I know there's an album, you know, I'm skipping way ahead here. I'm not going to say the song, but there, there, there's a fan favorite song that you've never been on board with. Yeah. And I'm the same way with this one. And I'm not saying it to be trendy. I'm not saying it to be cool or countercultural. Just Close to the Heart has just never been close to the heart with me. But <laughs> the rest of this album... Holy fucking shit. I, I mean, I even love Mangrel, <laughs> you know, fucking uh, more than close to the heart. Uh, I, I really, really dig this album. But there, there, there's only one answer. I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, it is as awesome as Cygnus X1 is, and it is fucking godly. This album is all about Xanadu. Holy fucking shit. Uh, this is... Uh, Probably, I think, the third 70s album that I got. I think I got this one before Hemispheres. Uh, just amazing, amazing. And to see how this band grew over a small period of time. You know, this is back in the 70s where, you know, there was no, like, drama. You Bitch, you put out an album a year, if not two. You know, uh, there's no, like, uh, Chinese democracy shit going on. Uh just the the musicianship level just kept going up and up and up and up uh but it is it, it, it's all about xanadu it's a motherfucking masterpiece and uh probably one of my favorite concert moments of all time uh was you me and kobe sitting next to each other and and when they played xanadu and uh we all lost our fucking collective minds and dined on honeydew and, and drink the milk of paradise. <laughs> you know, it was it was fucking amazing. But I'd then, have to think about it, but I think this is my favorite Rush album cover. It's so bleak and dark and, and that puppet looks like fucking grotesque. Uh, I love that album cover. It's so you know, like end of the world looking, you know. See, and I've always been weird about the album cover on this one. I didn't like the box set album cover. You saw that one? Yeah. I don't like it at all. Actually, I kind of hate it. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a, it's like, eh, you the, know, the, it, the puppet, the puppet looks comical. Yeah, no, know? It, it's funny because it went from like one of my least favorite album covers to like now I miss the original album cover. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great, dude, with the but, background. But, you know, the background is um, the Harbor Castle Hotel in Toronto. Right, right. It's so. Well, I, 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 I get it. it. Just out of the seventies album covers, it's my least favorite to begin with. But yeah, when I when I saw the the remaster, when I was like, yeah, 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 give me the guy with the the neck laying over. <laughs> you know, I'll take that. I'll, over I'll, this. I'll, 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 I would say uh, Fly by Night's my least favorite. Uh, I, 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 I just find it kind of bland that owl. 
I don't know. There's a naive charm to that, though. But the same way I think the, the first album has a naive charm to it. I oh, mean, I love kinda, that one. That one's you know, fun. You know, that, that's kind of like a Batman, like, bang, zoom, yeah. rush. Like <laughs> you know? I, I do. I, I do, too. But uh, let, let's fast forward an, uh, another year to 1978, and holy shit is this, uh, in my opinion, a epic, epic fucking masterpiece. Hemispheres. Oh my god. Uh, I, I mean, you think Cygnus X1 is fucking amazing. And it is. You are correct. Wait till you hear Cygnus X2, or Cygnus X1 book 2, Hemispheres. Holy fucking That's shit. awesome, but you know what? I'll take book 1. But I love book 2. Really? Yeah, really? I just, there's something about down, down, da, da, da. I just love that thing. It, it is a little, it is a little bit more, I would say, raw, and I and I like that. But, but I love book two. I'm not taking oh, nothing away from this. But if I had man. to pick, I'd go with book one. But man, yeah, you know, book two, circumstances, the trees, and the trees. I would say, um, kind of borderline. With uh, closer to the heart is like you know overkill, and I don't need to hear it again. But I do oh, love, love I do I do love the trees more than I do closer to the heart. But me uh, too. But I, uh, but I love them both. But to me, uh, th- this album is all about book two and Livia Strangato. Oh my god! Uh, just fucking mind blowing and. Uh, again, they take the album, they, they take the whole band's sound to another level. I mean, just I, it's like to me, uh, no pun intended, quantum leaps from 2112 to uh, you know, to Farewell to Kings to Hemispheres. And not saying that I like one more than the other, but I'm saying just sonically and songwriting wise and the progressiveness of it. You just, you know, it just goes from bigger to bigger to bigger. And I kind of see where after this album, they reverted to uh, some slower, you know, shorter songs and stuff like that. Because to me, as far as like progression, like where do you go after Hemispheres as far as progressive music? I mean, really, you kind of just have to scale it back and, and work on your craft. Because this, to me, is progressive rock at its absolute finest. Uh, God damn amazing. If I had to pick a favorite song off of this, it's uh, it's La Vida Strangato. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, we agree on that one. La Vida Strangato is uh, definitely my favorite song off this album. But I do love this whole album. I love Book 2. I love Cir- Circumstance, another one of those HBO videos I remember seeing back then. And The Trees. They made videos for both of them. Um, I love The Trees, you know, for years. And I still may be wrong, but I don't know. That song translates now to me as racism, you know? Oh, oh, it's always translated that to that, I, I didn't know. Me. I mean, I was really? a kid. I was a kid. I don't know. I didn't oh, I mean, analyze lyrics back then. I, I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, well, I, I mean, not... not trying to sound like smarter but I mean I knew that from the first time I heard it but what I love is how uh, well I should say I love it and, and it, it's sad at the same time is to me 
the lyrics of that song are just as strong now, if not more, than when it was recorded. Because we still have these same problems that we had then, you know, with, with, with racism and, and, and prejudice and stuff. And, and what an eloquent way to write about it, though. I mean, that's really, like, to break it down at such a, a basic level, yet it's very, um, I don't know, it's very poetic and it's very... I don't know. It, it that that is the genius of the man that we are lamenting today, Neil Peart. You know uh, that he could write a song like that, and to write a song in those times. And, and that's not the first. You know, I, I mean, I, I should say it's not the last song that he wrote that had to do with racism or sexism. You know, or you know, dealing with homophobia, yeah, all kinds of different zero. shit. Yeah, I mean, he's wrote a lot of songs about that, and this is a man. That was way ahead of his times and, and a free thinker from the get-go. You know, you just see this man had a strong moral fiber and, and was raised right, you know. And uh, it, it, it's sad, though, but w- what a way to break it down. Like, this is something, uh, you know, you could play to a child and, and, and express to them, uh, you know, what's wrong with racism and sexism and, and all this kind of shit, you know, and to break it down on a level like, it's genius. I mean, it's absolute genius. Uh, I, I love it. Like I said, even though, you know, it's kind of there, I I, I think where, where it's closer to the heart, I'm just not a big fan of. I think this one uh, suffers from overkill. But the overall message and the way the song is, I mean, it's just, it's perfect. I love it. All right, I, I changed my mind. Hemispheres, I, I like Fly By Night's cover more. <laughs> Looking at the <laughs> Hemisphere album cover. Really? Yeah, it is cool and kind of bizarre, but, you know, it's just the guy's ass kind of, I'm, I don't know. I can accept it on 2112, but at 2112, it's not on the album cover. I don't know. I, 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 the whole thing, like standing on the brain and the different side of the hemispheres, you got like the artistic and then, and then you got like the, you know, the, uh, it's know, okay. It's cool. Tip, but tip, you know, Typical British guy. That's more analytical. I don't know. I, I think it's a very strong album cover. It's just a little weird for me. A little too weird for me. A little out there, but okay. I could hang. I could hang. Okay. Bye. Uh, I like the, the album cover to the next one more. Cause you see panties. Oh, yeah. Yeah, why don't you take the next one? 1980s Permanent Wave. Where sometimes this one replaces Farewell to Kings is my favorite Rush album. And uh, some real sexy motherfucker got me this on 180 Gram, which I highly recommend that one, too. Uh, The 180 Gram of this one. Which I guess there'll be a box set next on this one. I don't have Hemispheres. I need to get that box set. You know, I have hemispheres like the same vinyl as a kid. But this album, man, this is already when I was already a Rush fan. And I believe this may be the first Rush album I bought when it was new. Because uh, the radio just played Spirit of the Radio on free will so much. And I don't know about you, man, but those two songs, not sick of them at all. I can listen yeah. to them any fucking time. Over and over. Especially free will. Um, but you know, you got your Jacob's Ladder, Entre Nuis, Different Strings, Natural Science, which I saw them play that too. They played Natural Science, I think it was like, uh, maybe, you know, I, I when, you know, Test for Echoes, 
snakes and ladders and uh, vapor trails. Oh, what did what we did they play Jacob's Ladder or Natural Science? Yes, they played oh, they, Jacob's Ladder at New Orleans. Ladder. Okay, but um, what, you know these these three shows, these three tours back to back was at the West Palm Beach um, Amphitheater. So it's hard for me. No, and you know there was a fourth show. Oh shit! I saw them. I saw them eleven times because I forgot. I saw the Time Machine tour at. Uh, yeah, I saw that one too. Then when they played the full uh, Moving Pictures album. Yeah, I saw that one. So, um, but I don't remember which show it was. But one of those shows they played Natural Science, the whole thing. Um, brilliant album. Um, got this as a kid. Got this when it was. This may be the first Rush album I bought when it was brand new. And uh, I was already a big Rush fan by this time. I, I believe I already had the live album by this time, and and uh, Hemispheres, and uh, and <clears throat> and I just love the fuck out of this album. This album sometimes is my second favorite, but as of now, it's my third favorite. I think it's a brilliant album. Very influenced by the Police by this part, point, making uh, shorter songs. Still a couple, you know. There's a nine minute and seven minute song on here that ends each side, but. Uh, Entre Noose is a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, but if I had to pick a favorite, uh, it'd have to be Free Will. Because of the lyrics of Free Will, the way it fucking rocks, the breakdown with the bass. Dun, dun, da, 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 and then Alex comes in fucking shredding. Yeah, Free Will. Another one of my favorite Rush songs, even though it's like played to death on the radio. Uh, I don't get sick of that song at all, and I would have to say it's my favorite off this album. What do you think? All right, where do I begin with Permanent Waves? Holy shit. Uh, and, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll just say this and get it out of the way. It's my favorite 80s Rush album. Uh, fucking amazing. And as years go on, I just love it more and more. And uh, am more secure with calling it my favorite '80s Rush album. Uh, man, it's, it's just uh, again they take they take this beast we call Rush in a whole nother direction, while retaining what they did in the '70s. There's definitely a progressive side to this, but there's definitely a more rock vibe to it. I mean, with songs like "Spirit of Radio" and "Free Will." Um, you know, you got Entre Noah, you got fucking different strings. I mean, I mean, every song on here is fucking amazing. Uh, oh man. And a great album cover. Uh, this is another one that's been released. I see. I don't have any of these new, uh, Rush albums on vinyl. I need to give, this is another one that was released on 200 gram 80 vinyl. Uh, gotta get, um, uh, Oh man, it, it, it's so hard. I'm going. I, I mean, I mean, Spirit of Radio and Free Will are kind of like what and what. They're both fucking perfect. They're both like classic, like radio era songs. But to me, there's something about Natural Science that oh god damn, do I love that song? But I mean, I love all of them. If I gotta pick a favorite, gun to my fucking head, uh, I gotta agree with you, brother. Free will. Right on. And you know, and also, uh, can't overlook the brilliant lyrics to Spirit of the Radio. Oh, I mean, yeah. If you really analyze that song, 
you know, you know the the marketing. Oh yeah, you know, and all that shit. And, the, and when they would play it live, where he says concert hall, and they would oh all, yeah, all the lights would come on, and then the crowd would sing, and it would sound like the album. It's just so cool. And a great oh, one. Yeah. What an amazing opening. What an amazing riff Alex opens that song with. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's just... I, I mean, it, it's a perfect fucking album. But, you know, to get back to what we both picked, Free Will. I mean, not only, you know, because it's it, it's how I feel spiritually, if you'd call it. I, I am a non-believer, uh, just like Neil Peart was. Uh but, but there's just something about not only musically is it awesome, but lyrically it speaks to he ha, he has the same feelings as I do. You can believe in whatever, uh, but you know, I believe in crystal light because I believe in me. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's just something magical about it musically and lyrically. And, and and again, I, I agree with you there. there. There's no song on here I get sick of, and you know, especially the radio songs, "Free Will" and "Spirit of Radio." I can hear them over and over, and it's just as magical every time I hear it as it was the first time. Just a fucking masterpiece. But then yeah. ne- next, we will go to the album that uh, a lot of people would say is their best album. I would say. Um, that we're not wrong in, in, in saying it is their most popular album. I would say even more than uh, than 2112. Uh, just because this is the one like even people who aren't Rush fans know this album or you know know, know the opening or you know the first single uh, you know people who don't like Rush love this uh, fucking album. I love it, but I prefer Permanent Waves. But let's talk about moving pictures. What do you think, Ralph? First time I saw him on this tour, I had the A-Track. Yes, I had this on A-Track before in, vinyl. In, in 81, you had the A-Track. Holy oh, shit. Oh, you know, you know the A-Track's lasted until 85. 84, 85. Right. I, I just didn't see too many new A-Tracks after, like, 1979. Yeah, yeah, they were still around. I had Diver Down on A-Track. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, I love this album. Um, not the biggest fan of Tom Sawyer, and I never have been. It's not a bad song, and it, it actually is not my least favorite on here, actually. But, um, you know, I love the middle section of Tom Sawyer, but I was never a fan of this song. I just felt like, eh, even when I first heard it, you know, back then, I was like, well, it's a rush song, but it's not. Spirit of the Radio, Anthem, Bastille Day, all these, you know, 2112, all these great openers. But um, I like the rest, but except for Camera Eye. I never liked Camera Eye, and I, and I even put Tom Sawyer above that. And we got Camera Eye when we yeah, saw I was, them. I was just going to say, they played that when we saw them. And when I saw them on, uh, see, I saw the Moving Pictures tour, and then when they did the uh, exit stage left tour and i won tickets to that off the radio where i even got on the k102 party bus to lakeland uh, i gotta i gotta say this story man because it's so epic uh, me and my brother uh i won tickets to it so we went to the k102 uh radio studio to get on the bus so before we get on the bus me and my brother smoked a lot of weed 
because Lakeland is like a lot. Oh, you and Manny? Yeah, me and Manny smoked a lot of pot. <laughs> we were smoking a lot of weed before we got on that bus, you know? Because we knew we couldn't smoke weed on the bus. So we get on the bus, and, and I shit you not, the, the female DJ was there, and her name was Randy Rhodes. I shit you not. <laughs> that was her name. And uh, we're in the bus on the way over there, and <laughs> there, I'll never forget this. There was an old man driving the bus. And the K-102 bus made him stop at a convenience store, and they came out with kegs of beer. And... Yeah, so we were get, we were drinking. It was a party bus, all right. And I, something I also have to mention is my friend Yai, who you met. Yai. Yeah, yeah. I, you met him at the Jewish Priest Jewish show. Priest, yeah. He lent me his binoculars because back in the day, if you sat all the way like high uh, in the nosebleeds, you'd watch shows on binoculars. Which I have to bring up the story when I saw the Mob Rules tour. There was an old burnout next to me going, "Hey, man." Can I borrow your binoculars during Iron Man? You know, it was just a thing. People would go to shows with binoculars. That's old school. So he lent me his binoculars. Anyway, so we're 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 now drinking beer. I'm underage. They're giving me beer. Me and my brother are drinking away, and all of a sudden, I'm like, "Hey, man, I smell weed." And there's Randy Rhodes, the DJ, up front smoking weed, and uh, we're like, "Fuck it!" And the people across from us had hash. So we were passing them joints. They were passing us hash and little pipe. We got so fucking polluted that by the time we got there, I don't remember anything till, because I lost my brother, obviously, because till somebody woke me up on the floor because this venue, which uh, they recorded a decade of aggression, Slayer. Yeah. Uh, if you look at that album cover there in front of the, that place, um, somebody woke me up on the floor because it was a general mission show. I was on the floor. Somebody woke me up, and the binoculars were gone. So <laughs> when I passed out, somebody stole the binoculars. How fucked up is that? But uh, but I, I woke up, and I don't recall an opening act. There might have been. But I did see the full show. And they opened again with 2112. But the difference between the moving picture tour and this one was this one played the camera eye and vital signs. Uh, nice. Those are the two songs they didn't play at the other one. And the other one they took out, what they took out of this show was Passage to Bangkok. And God, I can't remember what was the other song. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe they, they only took out Passage to Bangkok. Because uh, I remember it being identical, except the camera eye and vital signs were played at this show. So I did see the camera eye one time. But, oh man, I still, you know, with, the, with, with its flaws, I absolutely love this album. I know it's the popular one. Uh, I man, and I gotta tell you, man, if I had to pick my favorite song, it's really tough, and it's very close with YYZ and Vital Signs. But I'm gonna give it to YYZ. I mean, no, Vital Signs. I'll give it to Vital Signs. YYZ is extremely close second, but Limelight is an extremely close second as well. Um, because I love the lyrics of Limelight because it's a song about Neil Peart, how he felt, you know? And, uh, but, oh, Witch Hunt. Holy, Witch Hunt is the dark horse on this album. Yeah. Love that song. Love the fuck out of Witch Hunt. But, uh, and I love Red, Red Barchetta too. It's just Tom Sawyer and the camera I can do without. Uh, sorry to do a beer drinking yawn. 
Uh, oh my god, I, I do love this album. Like I said, I, I love uh, Permanent Waves more. Uh, never, ever, ever get sick of Tom Sawyer. Never, ever. I, I think it's fucking amazing. And it's interesting how Neil Peart said that every time he plays this song, he gets very pl- proud of himself because it's so challenging. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. it is. I mean, to pull that off and pull it off accurately and, and, and for it to be such a well-known song where it's so identifiable, people are going to know if you fuck up, you know, because they they know these drums, you know. This is basically like, you know, in the air tonight for, you know, you know, you think of like in the air tonight with that, you know, the drums on this song are just as well known as that, but it's much, much more intricate, you know, it, it's just fucking, oh God, I love me some fucking Tom Sawyer. The, the song on this album that I'm kind of like, and eh, that everybody loves is Red Barchetta. I've never been a big Red Did Barchetta. Did we review this album? No, but I think I think we we've talked about this in the past. Yeah, I kind of I kind of re- remember you saying yeah, you didn't like that. Uh, pr- probably when we talked about when we saw them because they played it at when we saw them in New Orleans, right? Uh, and, and they played Red, Red Barchetta the first time I saw Rush on the Presto tour. I've never been a big Red Barchetta fan. I, I don't know what it is. It just it doesn't do it for me. Uh, YYZ amazing, Limelight amazing. Uh, camera Eye, I'm still a little and eh, just like you. Witch Hunt, uh, I gotta admit, Witch Hunt was a grower for me. But I think it was because it came after Camera Eye. And like when I was a young kid listening to this, I'm already like turned off because of Camera Eye. So like Witch Hunt, I was like already like, eh, you know, it, it just felt like a hangover um, from Camera Eye. But now I love it a lot more. But vital signs. Oh my God! Do I, you you want to talk about some police fucking love? Holy shit! Vital signs. And what's so funny is I'm exactly the same as you. When it comes to number one to number two, what's my favorite song? It's exactly between Vital Signs and YYZ. But I ain't even gonna pretend. There's only one clear winner here, and that's YYZ. And I love me some fucking Vital Signs. But YYZ could quite possibly be my favorite Rush song of all time. It's definitely my favorite instrumental of all time is YYZ. Of all time. YYZ, for me, is the highlight to the Rush show when you see it live. Oh, yeah. That's the highlight. Period. Oh, Oh, man. them perform that shit. Oh, and when it kicks in and you hear those synths kick in, which normally I hate, but the... Oh, Oh, God, that's just like shoot your fucking load. I'm like, ah. Oh. No, but, but, I love when Getty and Neil go yeah. at it. The part where the, the little solo, the, you know, the little solo toward the end when they stop and Getty does the little oh, big solo. Yeah, it is tough. I got to admit, it is tough yeah. to pick Spotify over this, but I have uh, and, and 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 kudos to you, my friend, for being that vocal about vital signs because that's a song that I don't see get nearly as much love as I think it deserves because I think vital signs is fucking amazing. Everybody's got to deviate from the norm. Perfect, oh. perfect, perfect lyrics. Oh, and the way and the way it plays out, 
Oh my god, I love me some Vital Signs, man. Great fucking song. Another one of my favorite rush. Definitely got to make my top ten favorite rush song. We oh. got to do that. The top ten favorite rush. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. There's. There's that because I had to look it up actually because you know we're a little long in the tooth now as far as episodes you know we're creeping up on 300 and I was like how many rush episodes did we because I knew for sure you know we did you know when we saw them in New Orleans but I was like I know we did some others and we, we did, did permanent waves per- permanent waves with Bill Wang and farewell we did, to King and farewell to King so, so that 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 leaves a lot for us to do in the future and. uh this is definitely a band I can see doing every fucking album, whether we like them or not. Right. This is a band worthy, you know. Well, I'll uh, tell you this right now. We're going to go into some albums later on that I am not well aware of. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to have a good opinion. I've heard them, but I can't, like, you know, analyze, like, the deep tracks or anything. Right. Um, but then we'll go on after this. We'll go on to their next live album. Uh, another one that's legendary, and that is Exit Stage Left, uh, released later in 1981. And, uh, you know, this is Rush probably at their peak popularity-wise overall, you know, within the the realm of popular music. This is the peak. Uh, They're definitely riding the Tom Sawyer wave, uh, you know, the moving pictures wave. And it is an incredible album, and I know, uh, you know, when you came and hung out, we were sitting on my porch listening to this album and, and fucking had an amazing time, and I can't fault anybody that, that you know, picks between this and and uh, All the World's a Stage is their favorite album, because they're both so amazing, but yet, to me, they're polar opposites. They're polar opposites. This is much more a polished... Uh, like Kiss Alive, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, Unleashed in the East, you know, this is Rush's, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's necessarily that touched up, but it's just a much more polished live album, but it's really, it's, it's really capturing Rush at at a peak, and the the set list is amazing, it's got a good mix of old and new, um, and uh, I, I really love this album, but Ralph, I know you love it a little bit more than me, so why don't you talk about it? Yeah, it's just a fucking phenomenal album that I never, ever get sick of. All these years, you know, there ain't a year goes by, I don't play this in its entirety. Even Tom Sawyer, I don't skip a track. Um, I don't know, there's just a vibe to this album that really, really... I love that drum solo. And you know what? I'll even say this. I prefer the drum solo on All the World's a Stage than the YYZ one, but the YYZ drum solo is so good. But yeah, the the, the one on All the World's a Stage is ridiculously good. Um, but, you know, the, more hungry sounding, but I gotta say, man, and uh, I, I, what I said earlier about Xanadu, it, it sounds impossible for me to say this. And, it, and, and I agree, it sounds ludicrous. For me to say this, but I prefer this version over the studio version, and I can't say that about any other song on this album. Except, I will also say a song that I prefer on this album than the studio version is La Vila Strangiato. Those two songs I think are better on here. The other ones I don't think they're worse. I think they're on par with the studio versions. You know, they're just as good. 
But um, uh, Xanadu is my standout track on this album. And, you know, maybe it is Timeline. Maybe it is because I saw this tour and uh, I was so into Rush at the time. And when this album came out, it was my Rush fandom at its peak. You know, so this album was kind of like getting a souvenir of the two shows I just saw. Because, you know, one show played Beneath, Between, Behind, and and uh, and uh, Passes of Bangkok, where the other show played Vital Signs, which is not on here, and uh, Camera Eye, which is not on here either. Thank God. But um, it's just amazing. It's just an amazing fucking uh, album. I absolutely love it. And uh, I love uh, the way it ends. It's so good how they play it on here. It's so perfect. And you know, that's like probably the hardest Rush song to play, I bet. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I remember Mike Portnoy uh, saying that. It was a bitch to learn this song. You know, he only pointed at this one as a. And we're talking about Mike. You know, whatever you say about the guy, the guy is a fucking Neil Perk Jr. You know, he's a fucking. Uh, oh, if yeah. anybody can fill the show, shoes, is him you oh, know, yeah. in Rush. But uh, for him to say that was a bitch to play is why I say that's probably the hardest Rush song to play. And, you know, even Rush said it. I mean, you know, La Vila is what inspired Permanent Ways. They're like, look, we can't go anymore like crazy like that. You know, we we, may, we, we, we said what we had to say with the progressions of La Vila Strangiato. Let's, let's do something a little more simplified. Uh, let's not get so technical and crazy. But... And, and I'm glad they did that because it kind of like doesn't delude uh, future. Let's try to, you know, be technical and blah, blah, blah. They did it and they left it there. And I think that makes it even more special. And it's just a phenomenal live album. One of my favorites live albums. And it was my first choice of uh, my classic album series on my YouTube page, which I just put up last month. I saw that. Yeah, and uh, man, I gotta say, this is so weird because you and me so many times lockheads and disagree on shit. This is another album where we agree a hundred percent. My two favorite songs on this album are Xanadu and La Via Strangato. and uh, oh my god, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're both masterpieces, and yeah, like you know what you said about La Via Strangato. Uh, I remember reading an interview with uh, Tommy Lee where he said, you know, after he heard the drums on that song, that's when he realized, like, uh, I, I, I'm just going to be reduced to playing Motley Crue music because I can't play this shit. <laughs> that uh, was Bobby Blotzer. It wasn't Tommy Lee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was Bobby Blotzer. Uh, I think Bobby Blotzer said, I, uh, I could only hit Tommy Lee's wife that hard, not those drums. And uh, you know what Ricky Rocket said? <laughs> La Fita what? Yeah. <laughs> and then he and then he threw CC down a flight of stairs yeah. and they recorded Look What the Cat Dragged In. Exactly. Um, no, a, a, amazing live album. Like, like I said, it, it's apples and oranges compared to All the World's a Stage. Uh, in my opinion, if you like one or the other, I, I don't judge anybody because they're both fucking oh, I, amazing. I love them both a lot. I and, love all the world's stage so much. And and I I love I love pretty much all the live rush albums. There's three that I hold like in in, in like 
unbeatable of steam and though you know all the worlds of stage and exit stage left are are in those there's one other that we haven't come up to yet that i think is, is just on par uh with both of those uh, but we'll get to that when we get to it but uh after this rush would take uh in my opinion and a lot of people's opinion an even stranger change and i think it's an album that is kind of polarizing for a lot of fans oh some people, it was back then let me tell you a lot of people were turned off by uh signals some people say it it's the last great rush album some people say this was the beginning of the end yeah uh but, many, uh, many in my circle did not like this album very divisive, but uh, to me, an important album in the Rush catalog, and that is 1982's Signals. Phenomenal! I love this fucking album. Love it. When I got my car, my last car, this is the first yeah. album I cranked on it in my iPod. I turned this album up, and I was just driving around listening, because, you know, the new stereo system in my car and shit. And uh, I was just cranking signals because I haven't heard it in a while. And it it made me revisit this album a lot afterwards. I don't know what got into me that day. I was like, what am I going to listen to? And my brain just said, play signals. And I was like, okay. And uh, wow, this album's awesome. It is awesome. I do. There, uh, I will say there is a song I used to like, but driving around in my car that day. And then I listened to it several times afterwards. I don't like it no more. And that's very weird because it's super rare. I like a song and then later I don't like it. But there is a song on here. There is a song on here I used to love. And now I'm kind of like, you know, this ain't that good. But, uh, and it's a hard one. As much as I love Subdivision, it's not my favorite on here. But goddamn, do I love that song. That song spoke a lot to me. It spoke more to me than any song on here when I first got the album. Because I just loved it. You know, I was still in school. It really did, uh, you know, it was like the, the you know, because I went to school with a bunch of preppy people. You know, I was, I was, you know, it, I was in a weird situation because I, I went to school in Hialeah with a bunch of dirtbags, people like me. And then I transferred to Nautilus and then my, Miami Beach High, which was a bunch of preppies. And I was like, you know, one of the, you know, there were a couple of metalheads that I became good friends with in school but for the most part I was looked down upon I'll never forget when a guy saw my shirt I was wearing a Van Halen shirt and he said you know Bruce Springsteen's a better guitar player than Eddie Van Halen and I said damn you mean Bruce Springsteen's plugged in you know and and uh but you know Subdivisions was at that time you know when I was going to school and uh and it really spoke to me though I know I don't know if Subdivisions was ever my favorite song, but I got to say it's the most special song on the album for me. Uh, if you would have asked me before that car ride, when I got in my car, my I would have told you my favorite song is the Analog. But after that car ride, there's a song on this album that man, it may change in the future, but hands down at the as I speak, my favorite song on this album is Chemistry. Damn, do I love that album. That song. That song is so fucking awesome. (laughs) And The Weapon, too. The Weapon is like a close second. Now, the song I used to love, I just heard, I was like, man, this is not good. Countdown. The final track. Used to love it, man. But I just don't 
care for it anymore. I love New World Man. That was a, uh, a lot on the radio back then. And right. I, I remember hearing that on the radio. And, and Digital Man, too. But uh, Chemistry is a song I like newly discovered while driving around. And every time I put that album on in my house, because I have it on vinyl, I, I, every song, time that song came on, I'm like, God, I love this song, man. Um, so that's what I think of Signals. Oh, wow. and I saw the tour as well. And they kept vital signs in the set list on the nice. Signals tour. And one thing I forgot to mention that was so cool, and this even happened on the, this happened on Signals and the two Rush concerts I saw prior. When they would play uh, Tom Sawyer, uh, they had a screen behind them, and the moving pictures album came to life. Because that moving pictures picture of the album oh, yeah. was a film, and they just took a still from it. Because uh, it, it really was like, the, you see the album cover move, moving pictures, get it? And they're moving paintings, you know? It's so brilliant, you know? But seeing it come to life live was kind of like, it was such a mind blower for us, you know, back then. It's like, you hear the beginning of Tom Sawyer and then you see, you know, the people walking with the paintings in the, in that, uh, what is it, like a museum or something? It's like, that shit, that visual is so cool. And it was on the Signals tour as well. They did that during Tom Sawyer. But I love it. That's what I think of Signals. All right. Well, uh, Signals to me is, is it's it's a weird album. And something we had we haven't mentioned yet that I, I think definitely needs to be mentioned is this is the last album with somebody who I think is a huge uh, of huge importance to Rush, and that's Terry Brown, their producer from uh, Fly By Night through this album. Uh, very important in their sound and uh, the development of Rush. Um, but there, 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 I don't know. There's something weird going on here now. I, I don't, I don't know if it's like a a second guessing after the popularity they got with moving pictures or what. But to me, this is the first album where I, I, I kind of see them moving backwards and not forwards. I don't see a, a I, I don't know. There's just something kind of stagnant about this album. Well, I, I will I, say, I will say. Every Rush album before this, I like more, but I still right. love this album. Oh no, and and, and I I love it too, but I just don't see it uh, probably way I, I I would I would you know an analogy I could give for this Pantera, one of my favorite bands of all time, and you know from Cowboys through uh, Great Southern Trend Kill, you saw an evolution. You saw him moving up. And with... Uh, uh, reinventing well, the Steel. Re- reinventing the Steel. I saw it... Uh, reinventing the Steel is like uh, signals to me. It's like where you think they were going to take it to the next level, they kind of dip down. And it's still good, but they're not reaching a new plateau. They're just kind of like floating. And that's that's how I see this album. It, it, it doesn't take it to the next level. It just kind of, there's a little bit of repeat here. Uh, I do love this album. There are two songs I really don't care for all that much on this. Not that I hate them. There's nothing I hate on here. But the last two songs, Losing It and Countdown, I can, I can do without. Uh, 
And and the weird thing is, again, this is so weird that you and me are agreeing again. My two favorite songs on this, Subdivisions and Chemistry. And uh, I was listening to Chemistry before uh, we started doing this review, you know. Because uh, Subdivisions is, yeah, I mean, everybody loves Subdivisions. And I think everybody can agree with it uh, on different levels. Like, like even me, like, like you know... You know, it, it speaks to a student. It, it speaks to kids in you know in school, whether it be you know junior high or high school. Like, like I was, I was what you would consider a popular kid. You know, I was class clown. You know, I was everybody knew who I was. But even with popularity, I felt like an outsider because I was just into shit that a lot of people weren't. Other than you know Mike Zeller, who I talked about earlier. Like, me and him were into music and movies like nobody else. And that was our life, our religion, was we knew all these movies nobody else knew. We knew all these bands nobody else knew. And I taught Zeller stuff, and Zeller taught me stuff. And, uh, you know, that was our passion. And even though we were popular kids, we were different because that meant more to us than what other shit meant to normal kids. You know, we were, we were about art. We were about music and movies and stuff like that. That was everything to us. Uh, You know, so Subdivision speaks to so many kids. Uh, You know, but uh, this album is more than that. And and chemistry is fucking amazing. And it is the one song in this album that was written by all three members. Lee Lifeson and Peart all had input on that song. And it's fucking killer. I love it. But I also love Analog Kid, Digital Man, The Weapon, New World Man. But uh, Losing in Countdown, I was kind of like, eh. I don't know. There was just something missing. And this was an album cover I wasn't crazy about. Uh, but I remember, you know, it's so funny. I grew up in the 80s. That was the era of the Trapper Keeper. You know, that you would take to school. And you could buy different folders that you would put in your Trapper Keeper. And you could go to the store in the 80s, and you could buy, like, popular rock albums. They would have, like, their own folders. Like, I remember you could get uh, Rush Signals, uh, Ario Speedwagon, High Fidelity. There was all these different ones that you could buy and put in your Trapper Keeper. And I I remember Mike Zeller had this one. Uh but uh, it, it's a good Rush album. It's the end of an era because it is the end of the Terry Brown era. Uh, but to me, there, there's just something a little bit off about this album. But it's still goddamn good. But then we go to the next album, which uh, I, I think is just equally divisive as fan, with fans. And that's Grace Under Pressure. And I'll take this one. Uh, I will say I think this album is better than Sigmund. Um, definitely they're getting more away from the rock uh, you know more synthesizer more computer shit but I just think overall there's better songs on this album I really love I mean Distant Early Warning Red Sector A uh, shit I love Kids Glove Between the Wheels oh my god and uh, we saw them play that one right they played Between the Wheels yeah yeah Oh and, my! And it was an alternate set list. We saw. Right, right, yeah. We, we weren't playing this at most songs. Right, yeah. We got shows, to see, I mean. Yeah, we got to see between the wheels, and, and that made me really fucking happy. 
Uh, but th this is now, it's a weird one. I'm not, not going to lie. This is kind of a weird Rush album. But I love every track on this. And that's why uh, I'll place this one above Signals. Even though it might not have that like classic like Subdivisions type song on it. But overall, I love every song on Grace Under Pressure, where you know I can do without a couple on Signals. Um, if I gotta pick a favorite on this one, that's a tough one because there there's some great songs on this. I'd probably say Between the Wheels. What do you think of this album, uh, Ralph? I love it too. I, I and at this time, I was alone. You know, I was alone on Signals too. A lot of people didn't like Signals, and, all, and then. Even more people dislike this one. I, I like Signals more, but I love this album. Oh, really? You like Signals more? Than yeah, I'll take Signals over this one. Um, but I do love this album. And uh, uh, and this was the last tour I saw till they came with um, Test for Echoes. You know, because after this is where I'm going to be a little fucking clueless. Right. Um, even though I am aware of every album and I have heard them, but... I don't revisit them at all. But it is a tough one for me to pick a favorite. It, it'd be between Distant Early Warning and Red Sector A. And I'll... Oh, man, it's hard, man. I, I guess I'll go with Distant Early Warning by a nudge. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not too crazy about the body electric. Uh, and uh, Red Lenses, I'm like, eh. But yeah, I did kids love The Enemy Within's awesome. Between the the wheels, awesome. I like and I love after an image, um, but that's it. That's that's this is where Rush, like, and I even like you know listening to it even back then. I was like, man, they're getting very keyboard heavy on this, but I'm still hanging on. This is not bad. It's still good, but um, yeah. But then we go to the next one, and that was when I threw in the towel. <laughs> when I heard Power Windows the first time, and I didn't buy it, because what I did was I saw, oh, I think it was the Big Money video. Big Money, yeah. And I saw that, and I was like, <laughs> that's not good at all. And uh, you know, and then you know, Getty's looking really weird now with that oh, fucking yeah. rac raccoon on his head. Exactly. But, <laughs> but but I didn't buy it. I didn't go out and buy it. But I did listen to it. I remember it was my friend George that lived... Uh... Holy George? No, it wasn't him. I haven't met Holy George yet uh, at this point. But yeah, it was George Royal who, who uh, passed away. May he rest in peace. Oh, unholy George. Yeah. He um, he, he died like Neil Peart, man. He's brain cancer. Oh, man. But he loved it. He loved the album. And he would play it a lot when I was at his house. And I tried, man. I really did try, and uh, I own this on vinyl because, and I bought it not too long ago. I bought this and the even worse one with the red bubbles. Oh God! Yeah. Oh God! But I, I bought them both at the same time for two bucks each. At uh, like right here on Lincoln Road, they had like some guy with vinyls. Like you know, there was a whole. You know, people were selling everything, trinkets, what you, what yeah, that, those That's vinyl. great. The guy paid you two dollars to take these out. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually said fuck it, four bucks, because I'm a completist. You know, I was like, I right. figured out again. Okay. Even though I still, I'm still missing a few rush vinyls, but and, and I revisited them. I, I listened to this one again when I bought it for two bucks, 
and I still feel the same way. I nothing really stood out. I can't really, you know, if I had to pick a uh, my favorite song on this album, and I don't really even like it much, it would probably be Manhattan Project. You know, that would probably be the one that I'm like, okay, this is like somewhat tolerable. Mystic Rhythms is kind of like in par with the Manhattan Project. But I, yeah, I, this is when Rush lost me. And I stopped buying Rush albums until I heard a certain song where we'll get to that one. Oh. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, you know, you know we've got to put things into context. This is an album I had to go back to. You know, because I still haven't discovered Rush at this point. Uh, but going back, um, I didn't mind Big Money. It, Big Money was on Chronicles. I was like, ah, that's all right. You know, let me check it out. And uh, the funny thing is, I always liked the album cover for this. I thought it was kind of weird. Uh, but I liked the whole power windows concept. You know, he's got the remote control in the window. I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of neat. It, it looked like a fucking Aria Speedwagon cover, but with balls. Uh, but, uh, oh my god. Going back and listening to this album. Holy shit, is this bad. Uh, if I had to pick, you know, I would, I would say there's probably only two, uh, two songs that you could almost say I like on this. That would be Big Money and Manhattan Project. Uh, I'll, I'll take Big Money over Manhattan Project, but yeah, this, wow, they really lost me on this, you know, like, you know, 1985, I'd rather listen to fucking Tears for Fears than goddamn, you know, Rush Power Windows. Uh, really bad. Not their worst album, because that's coming up, but, uh, yeah, this, this is a, and there's some people who, you know, there's some Rush Tards out there, too, people, you know, every band has their Tards. And there's some rush tards that think this is fucking great. I disagree. But it's not as offensive to my ears as the next album, 1987's Hold Your Fire. Yikes. Holy Mastacholi, is this terrible. And uh, the thing that I always remember about this is, is, you know, the year it came out, 1987, I was living in Bloomington, Illinois, which is a college town. And the college radio station used to play metal teeth or metal shop, you know. And so you could listen to that. And then also the college station had their own metal show. And I, I talked about this before. I, I called up requesting one week. I called up requesting Love Bites by Judas Priest, and they made fun of me. They're like, Love Bites. Oh, that, what, a, what a stupid sounding, you know, song, you know. Uh, yeah, we're not gonna play that. But a couple months later, they kept playing Love Bites by fucking Def Leppard like it was fucking genius. I'm like, oh, you fucking idiots. But I'll never forget, uh, I'm listening to it one week and they're like, oh my god, we got the new album from Rush. And I was like, oh yeah, Rush, yeah, I remember, uh, I like Tom Sawyer, you know, I heard that song and stuff. And, uh, I can't remember what they played. I know it wasn't Time Stand Still. I think it was like Force 10 or whatever. But I was just like, oh my god, this is fucking horrible. This is horrible. You know, this is, you know, uh, you know, th- you know, th- this era, 1987, it's all about Kiss, you know, Van Halen, Cinderella, shit like that, you know. 
I'm, I'm like, oh my god, this is fucking. I couldn't wait for the fucking song to end. And and this is now my. I've, I've seen people defend, people crucify it, and I I've tried to listen to it multiple times and try try to find something um, that I, I I think is worthy in it, but. Uh, I, I gotta say though, <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, I don't mind Time Stand Still, but every other song on this album, I cannot fucking stand. I think this is the worst Rush album of all time. It really, really fucking bad. Uh, this has nothing, nothing to do with the Rush that I know and love, and I, I don't know what they were going after, but I just consider this a midlife crisis. Uh, I, I really detest this fucking album. What do you think, Ralph? Yeah, I can't even pick a favorite. I can't even say, okay, somewhat. No, not, you know, I was able to do it with Power Windows, but this one, and I bought it. Um, I don't recall, to tell you the truth, listening to this album back in the day, because all it took was seeing that video of Time Stand Still to know a stay away. What a uh, nauseating video. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that's a pretty, uh, you know, and I'm, I mean to sound homophobic, but yeah, that's a, that's a gay video. Yeah, <laughs> the way they're floating around, it looks so Bouncing stupid. Around. And, and, and the funny thing is, I love Amy Mann, who does the background vocals. Right. I, I love Till Tuesday. Voices Carry, I think, is a fucking uh, a, a pop masterpiece. And I love, I love shit she's done after that. Uh, but yeah, that video leaves a lot to be desired. Especially, especially for Rush fans, I think it leaves a lot to be desired. It's just so... It looks so amateur looking. Yeah, it, you know, it's like really. And, and to it, like, like this is the same band that did twenty one twelve. Yeah, is doing this shit. You know, it's it's it's. And then you know, I I was you know when I bought those two albums, this is the one I put on because I I don't think I've ever heard it. And I was like, oh man. So you know what, I I, I will listen to it again because dude, that one time was so torturous. I never put it back on. Yeah, same oh, thing but goes dude, with Power Windows. You know? Oh, but oh my God, uh, like uh, really fuck it. I I think Mission sucks ass. Uh, yeah. Taish, I I don't I don't know. This whole album sucks. Well, ass, you know there was bad. an interview. There was an interview with Getty and Alex, and they asked him, "Is there any song you regretted ever doing?" And they both said they both agreed. The worst song they ever recorded was Tai Shan. Yeah, <laughs> they were saying. Yeah. How, how how they're embarrassed by it and how they don't like that song at all but yeah I, I'll listen to it again but I just remember yeah. but you know and then the next album which was a live album yeah um, show, show of hands Oof. yeah it had a lot of Oof. songs that I didn't Oof. like yeah and now looking at the set list it's like well you know what maybe I'm wrong by saying this but shit out of all these songs, Witch Hunt's my favorite, so I guess I'll say that's the best one. I have heard this. I believe there's a home video to this. Yeah, well, that that that's what I saw first, and uh, this was, you know, right after I I heard the next album. My friend Mike Zeller that I was talking about, he had this on VHS, and this was the first like live Rush, you know, album, you know, or video I saw, and I was just like. Uh, there's no songs off of Presto on here, you know. There's there, there's no Tom Sawyer. There's all this, and I kind of I I mean I respect what they did with this, 
you know, by putting songs that weren't on the other live albums. I respect that aspect of it. But you're putting on a lot of songs I don't want to fucking hear. <laughs> you know? I, I was like, God damn. I mean, you know, Big Money's okay, Subdivision's alright. But like, Marathon, Turn the Page, Manhattan Project, eh, Mission, eh. Distant Early Warning, I think by the time that came on, I was so turned off, I didn't even care. You know, Mystic Rhythms, I think, sucks. And then you got Witch Hunt, The Rhythm Method, which I think is the worst, uh, you know, I, I I hate even saying this, but I think that's the worst, you yeah, know, drum solo yeah. ever. Yeah, it's horrible. Uh, Force 10 sucks, you know. By the time you get to Time Standstill and Red Sector A, who gives a shit? And I was already sick of Closer to the Heart before I became a, a Rush fan. So, yeah, this was, a, this was a hard sell. And it's one of those ones I have because I'm a completist, but I never fucking listen to it. Never. Never. And, and they recorded this one in England. And, and I think that's because they were too, too scared to record it in America. Because American audiences would be like, ah, no, don't, don't come at me with this shit. Oh my god, yeah. This, I would have to say, is tied. Uh, I shouldn't say tied. This is their worst live album. This is their worst live album. There, there's another one that I'm kind of eh on, but this, I think, has to be their absolute worst live album. What do you think? Yeah, I, uh, um, I don't even remember it. I, I, I own the, the home video. And I don't think I've watched it much. I've never owned this album. Yeah, but uh, it's, if it's, it's the same bad. songs as the home video, then I have heard it. If not, then I never well, heard it. The only the only good thing about the home video is is it has in the mood. It That's, has vital signs, don't it? I kind of remember that being on there. That I can't remember. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty I think, sure. I I don't think I've I've watched it since. But the one thing like I I really loved and remembered standing out when I watched it at Zeller's house was it had in the mood. I was like, well, fuck, I like that song, you know. But, ooh, what a stickeroo. But uh, then we fast forward, well, not too much. It's the same year because Show of Hands came out in January of 1989. But Rush not only has a new label, but they're adopting uh, a newer sound. Well, they're kind of mixing their older sound with the new sound. And presto. And this was my first Rush album. This uh, is a very, very important album to me. And I totally get why there's some people who don't love it, you know, can't get into it yet. They still think this is way too much keyboard. But there's people like me and Mike Zeller and Bob Reed uh, who absolutely adore it. And I think a lot of that does have to do with timeline. Uh but there's just something magical about this album to me. Uh, you know, it came out in 89. I didn't hear it till a couple months later. But my, my buddy Mike Zeller, his birthday was in February. He turned 16 in February of 1990. And I remember him getting his, his car and he's coming to pick me up on a school day. And we were going into the city. We are going into Kankakee, Illinois on a weekday and that was like a big thing and we're listening to this album and and just loving it loving it 
And I, I didn't have a preconceived notion of what Rush was. I only knew some radio songs. All I knew is what I was hearing on this album. I absolutely loved it. it. Had there was a pop sensibility, there was some rock to it. I mean, I'm full blown like cock rock guy at this point. You know, with with uh, you know, you know, I got some thrash that I love, but I'm more of a cock rock guy. But hearing this, I was just blown the fuck away and I would see him later in the, the year on uh, the Presto Tour would be my first Rush concert uh, that I thought was absolutely amazing except they played Red Barchetta and I was like eh you know, they had the cartoon and everything I was still like eh but this album means so much to me and always will uh, is the best Rush album no but it was my introduction to Rush and I love every fucking song on this, even though I know I shouldn't. I didn't, there's some songs people make fun of. I totally get it. I can see why you do that. And then there's some, some songs on here that I think uh, there's no there's no way you can say they suck. Uh, a show Don't Tell, I think, is an incredible Rush song. Uh, but to me, the greatest song on this hands down one of the greatest Rush songs of all time is The Pass and uh, what's so weird is probably about 60 seconds before I found out Neil died I was uh, sitting at a desk at work and I'm, I'm you know I got my Bluetooth speaker in and I'm listening to music on my phone and I've got it on shuffle so I'm skipping and the pass came on and the pass is a very emotional song for me I mean it's one of those like I hear it and I get feels <laughs> you know there's a lot of you know it, it's, it's an anti-suicide song but it means a lot more to me on, on a lot of different levels and you know with a lot of the shit that's happened to me over the last year uh, sometimes I gotta skip songs at work because you don't necessarily want to feel shit at work. You know, that's the last place you want to have like a breakdown or you know, or, or tear up or choke up. And it came on the phone. And as much as I love this song, and it's one of my favorite Rush songs of all time, I was like, I hit skip because I was like, ah, I, I can't hear that right now. I'm at work. And I skip forward. Until I found a song that I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm gonna jam on that, and then I went on Facebook, and that's when I saw that Neil had passed. And uh, whew, you know, it was just, it was just so weird and rough at the same time. Like here, I just skipped one of my favorite Rush songs of all time, and then come to find out one of my favorite drummers of all time from one of my favorite bands of all time just passed, and. Uh, you know, it was weird because I'm sitting there and I'm trying to process this. I'm trying to process that Neil Peart is no longer with us. And I'm at work with people who don't listen to Rush. And I just turn to them like, Neil Peart just died. And they're like, huh? Who? What? Uh, we got to go do this. And I'm like, uh, you know, and my phone starts blowing up. You know, people texting me. You know, Facebook is blowing up. And we got we to gotta do some shit because we're about ready to get some major storms here in New Orleans. And we got to do all this, like, storm prep work. 
but I'm on my phone, I'm like, you know, and the thumbs are working. I'm like, oh my God, Neil just died. Neil just died. And I'm texting, you know, friends and, you know, my son. And, you know, it was really, uh, man, it was, uh, I know, I know we're talking about Rush and, uh, you know, all, all this music we love, but, you know, like going back to, to this album and this song and then dealing what, with what we're dealing with today, you know, it's the loss of Neil Peart. Uh, that's a tough motherfucker, dude. That's, you know, this, this guy was fucking amazing at that. Wrote some very powerful fucking shit musically, lyrically, you know, and uh, w- without without a doubt, you know, to me the the, the past is uh, the greatest song on this album. The song I think is very important. A lot of people need to listen to. Uh, shit happens in life. Don't give up. fucking amazing what do you think of presto i know i know you don't like it as much as me uh, i don't like it at all actually <laughs> <laughs> i'm still not on board i'm still uh lost with the with the rush thing yeah. and i don't remember ever listening to this album back then i saw the video for superconductor and that was enough for me to stay away from it i did hear it afterwards i don't know how maybe on mp3s or something you, you didn't see show don't tell first Maybe. I don't know. I remember Superconductor really that song when I saw that yeah, video. Well, that, that's kind of a goofy video too. And, I was, and, and the song too. I, I just didn't like it. I was like, God, Rush, come back. You know, I mean, geez. I mean, I was able to accept Grace Under Pressure, but geez, this is going way too far for me. But as I said earlier, there's certain albums on here I'm not going to have much to say about. And though I... Look, there's not a Rush album I did not listen to in its entirety. Even Presto, everything, you know, the two vinyls really? I bought. You, you don't like the past? The past doesn't do anything? I don't it? even remember it. I oh, got to wow. listen to it again. I just don't remember oh, wow. this, this album being any good, you know? Okay. And and I can say the same about the next one, uh, Roll the Bones, um, which I didn't, uh, just like Presto, I didn't hear it back then. By then, I was, uh, I was done. I was done with Rush. I didn't care. You know, I still love the old shit, but I knew. I think it was show of hands, kind of like uh, told me, don't go see Rush because they're not playing none of the old shit, right. none, none of the shit you like. You know, they right. might throw out twenty one twelve, but do you really want to sit through fucking, you know, Tam right. and shit like that? I, I I think that was a poor representation. I th- I think the live album was just like they're trying to put songs that weren't on the other live albums. I think they were mixing it up better. You know, in the live set list, but they were just showcasing on the on the album. You know, songs that weren't represented before. No, I, I don't even remember seeing anything of Roll the Bones when it came out. Yeah. I just didn't even pay attention. I didn't. I, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't even remember it being out. You know, yeah. till afterwards when I got into Rush, then I saw all these albums that came out before, and I was like, you know, I don't recall ever seen a video from uh, this album I might have but I don't recall uh, and I remember like you know Roll the Bones when I did actually listen to this shit and started rapping 
in the middle. And this yeah. was before we saw him live. Uh, I do remember hearing that song. It might have been a video or something. And I was like, holy fuck, there's like white man rap here. And it was like Vanilla Ice shit in the middle of this Rush song. And uh, though I did, again, I heard this album afterwards and just like Presto, nothing stood out. So there's not much more I can say about it. I can't talk about I don't remember. I'm looking at all these songs and the only one that I remember was Roll the Bones because of the rap shit. Oh, yeah. maybe Ghost of Chance. That sounds like I might know that one. Yeah. Right. Well, this is another one I fucking love. Um, and this one produced by Rupert Hine, the same guy who produced uh, Presto. I loved it when it came out, but I was so, like, you know, into Rush at this point. You know, it, it didn't matter, but... Uh, you know, this is one I, I probably admit, you know, it's it has to do with timeline. Uh, it didn't bother me at all. I mean, Dreamline, Bravado, Roll the Bones, Face Up, Where's My... Th- all songs I love. I, uh, but uh, if I had to pick the, the, the one that is the standout track to me on this is Ghost of a Chance, uh, which I think is, is just one of the greatest love songs ever and it's weird like a you know a love song coming from rush <laughs> you know something i i totally wouldn't expect but it's not like it's not like power ballad or anything like that but it's just like lyrically what he's saying uh i thought it was beautiful you know where he's saying you know i i, I don't believe in destiny or the guiding hand of fate i don't believe in forever or love is a mystical state I don't believe in the stars and the angels. Stars and the angels are stars are forever. Angels watching from above. I just believe there's a ghost of a chance you can find someone to love and make it last. I love that. I love that. He's like, I don't believe in any of this shit, but basically, I love my wife, and it makes it even more sad, you know, when you find out what happened to him, you know, coming soon. You know, with his daughter, you know, losing both his daughter and his wife. Uh, but I, I thought it was a very poignant song. I loved it lyrically. I loved it musically. And uh, I, I really, really dug this album. But with the next album, uh, I think they would start, you know, taking a step back. Not completely, but, but definitely a step back in the right direction, trying to regain their heaviness and this is in the middle of the grunge era but uh counterparts released in uh 1993 oh my god when i first heard fucking stick it out i was like okay now this this is a mixture of the rush that i've grown to love or the the rush that i immediately loved and the rush that i grew to love this is rush getting heavier again and oh my god did I love Stick It Out I thought it was a great track a great fucking album the album overall is kind of over, all over the place uh, there's stuff that harkens back to old Rush there's stuff that's new era Rush there's new territory that they're covering um, but I thought overall it was a very good album and a very uh, good mix of old and new uh Animate, I think, is a great song. Stick it out, of course. Uh, but goddamn, there's songs like uh, "The Speed of Love" that I think is amazing. 
and uh, a song that I always loved, but I loved a lot more after I saw that that last documentary. What was the one where they're talking to the fans? Which one was uh, that? Time Stand Still, I believe. Yeah, Time Stand Still. When they talk to the... Uh, I, I think he's a Scottish or an, or an Irish guy that got in the car wreck. And, yeah. And he's talking about everyday glory. And, uh... Oh, my God. I mean, I always loved that song. But after I saw that and, and I saw that, you know, that was the inspiration for a man who, you know... You know, in a car, he was left paralyzed. And just how he would listen to this song over and over, it was, you know, it would push him to, like, keep trying and to not give up. And, uh, you know, push push himself not only mentally, but, you know, not only, I'm sorry, not only physically, but mentally to, like, I'm not going to let, you know, I'm not going to end up like this. I'm going to keep going and doing what I do and then to see what this man achieved. And he basically said, he's like, I listen to the song every day for like a fucking year. And it was my motivation to like never give up and do shit. And uh, I mean, I mean, it was heartbreaking and heart of affirming at the same time. You know, you know, the, the power, you know, of, of, of man's will when he puts his mind to something and, and what you can overcome and. You know, not like you know, not like everybody who's paralyzed is going to be able to walk again. But, but just that this song gave this man that kind of strength to to not give up and to persevere to see what he did after that is just so life affirming and, and 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 beautiful and awesome and to show you the power of art and the power of music. You know, when you believe in something that much, how it can change your life and you know to not give up. Uh, I, I love this fucking album, but for me, for very special reasons, Everyday Glory would probably be right there with my favorite. Yeah, um, first time I heard anything off this was Headbangers Ball. Uh, they gave they they showed the video of Stick It Out on Headbangers Ball. And you didn't like it? I loved it. This is what got me into them. I was like, holy shit, you know, because they never played Rush on Headbangers Ball. Right. Well, actually, no, that's not true. They played Tom Sawyer once when Anthrax was uh, hosting. So Charlie said, oh, one of my favorite songs. But anyway, when I saw Stick It Out and the video rules. Oh, yeah. There was a guy on a chair held up by a pole, yeah. tied up, and, and Rush playing outside of a barn. Dark video, heavy song. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. Finally, a Rush song, a real Rush song for me. So I went out and bought the album. And yeah, yeah, it's not that great of an album, I don't think. But I did love anime. Even though anime is kind of like in the vein of, you know, Grace Under Pressure and kind of keyboardy a little bit. But it's still, it's kind of anthemic, so I dig it. I like Nobody's Hero. Uh, song yeah. about AIDS, Guy Dying of AIDS, and Homophobia. Um, I like Cold Fire off it, and uh, Everyday Glory, yeah, I, I remember liking that one as well. The rest, I was kind of like, eh, you know, I didn't really care for it, but um, but it got me to get into Rush again, and then when they came out, you know, and that, you know, I, I'm just saying, this is a very important album for my fandom, because it got me into them again, even though I'm kind of breathing through it, you know, I, um, 
it was the next album that I finally went to go see them again, which was Test for Echoes, which I find to be kind of underrated. And right, I've seen I've seen a lot of people like really bash this album. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I think it's dude driven. The title track is awesome. I love uh, the color of right virtu- virtuality. Uh, even the instrumental limbo I dug. It's kind of weird, but um, resist. Oh yeah, Hold real em. good song. I mean, it's some good shit oh, on yeah. it. I, I, you know, even though there's no, oh, well, driven is pretty like close to stick it out as being heavy because it is a heavy tune. Yeah. But uh, I think this album's even better. And I think, you know, I think Counterparts is more special to me. But I think this album's phenomenal. And when I went to go see this tour, I was so happy to find see Rush. Now, yes, I do remember there were some, you know, Hold Your Fire songs thrown in there. Some songs I was like, ah, no, they're playing this. But, you know, it was still it was still liberating to see Rush again. You know, they played 2112. And it was the first of many shows I saw at West Palm Beach Auditorium. And I absolutely love this, you know, I, and, and I'm already on board with Rush again. You know, when Test for Echoes came out, I don't recall hearing anything from it. I went and bought it. I was like, oh, new Rush? Let's, go, let's, hope, they're, uh, let's hope they're they're staying on the path from counterparts. And boy, I got to say, man, I, I really enjoyed this album even more than counterparts. Uh, but there is one album coming up I think is the best from the later stuff, but... What do you think of Test for Echoes? Uh, Test for Echoes. Uh, man, I remember when this came out, because this was right before um, I left my beloved Illinois and moved to Florida. And uh, <laughs> I worked with this guy, Dwayne, who was like probably the biggest Rush fan at that point I'd ever met. But this guy was strictly like, you know, first album through Signals. And then everything else sucked. And I remember this came out. I was like, hey, new Rush album. He's like, yeah, it's going to suck. <laughs> and it came out. He's like, yeah, I bought the new Rush album. It sucks. Uh, but but I, I dug it, but I got I got to say, like, I had heard some of it, but I didn't buy it right away. Uh, this is one I bought, like, maybe a couple years after it came, it came out. And I don't know why. Maybe because at the time this came out, I was really much more into, you know, this this was like the thrash era for me. Even though, you know, it's way past thrash primes, I was listening to much more, like, heavier shit uh, than Rush. But, you know, going back and listening to it, I love, you know, the title track. I love Driven. Uh, I, I absolutely, I really love Resist, especially how they would do the acoustic version, you know, in the years following the release of this. Uh, but one I really came back and, and discovered a whole new affinity for was Totem. And I gotta say, I think, and, and I'm sorry if I fucked this up, but I think it was Rope Halto who brought that back to my attention. And then I went back and listened to it. I was like, oh, God, yeah, it's a great song. And, uh, I, I I think it's a good album. I gotta say, overall, I probably prefer Counterparts over this, but I still love it. But uh, oh my god, did they release a amazing live album after this? 
and that's different stages. Uh, and while they were touring for Test for Echo, that's when uh, shit really hit the fan uh, for Rush. Uh, while they were enjoying the resurgence, and this is the era, I, I think this was the, maybe Test for Echo was the last tour that they had an opening act for. Maybe this was the first tour that they didn't have an opening act for. I'm a little bit fuzzy on the details on that. But they were playing longer sup, uh, longer shows, and they were digging back deeper in the catalog. And if you look at the set list on fucking different stages, I mean, it's just fucking amazing. You got you got 2112 in its entirety, and you, you got, you know, newer songs, you got some older songs, and then they really threw in a, 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 a real treat. If you were like me, you know, you rushed out, you got that, that three-disc version that had the Hammersmith Odeon show from 1978. That, oh my God. Best part of it. Oh, yeah. And it's not, it's not the complete show. They would release that later, of course. Get it! 180 Grand Final. It's so amazing. Oh, but it's so good. But I, I thought different stages was a lot of an amazing live album. Still not in my top three. Not in my top three. But God damn it, it would be my top four. I love different stages. Uh, but this came, this was released when uh, Neil Peart lost his, his daughter in a car accident. And then I think it was like nine or ten months later. It wasn't even a year uh he lost his first wife to cancer. And I I, I mean, I, I just, I, I couldn't imagine, you know. <coughs> as, as a parent, you're, you're, you know, your greatest fear is anything happening to your children. You know, and, and no, no parent wants to bury their own child, you know. I mean, it's just, I, 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 I you know, just thinking about it now terrifies me. I, I couldn't imagine it. And, but this band went through it. But, you know, we talked about this in the beginning of the show. That's what a class act rush is. They gave Neil, you know, they released this, but they gave Neil Peart uh, the time he needed and said, hey, when you're ready, you know, whatever. In the meantime, uh, you know, Alex Lifeson put out the Victor album, which. I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of that album. There's a couple good songs, but I'm not that big of. Uh, Gay Lee put out a, a solo album called My Favorite Headache, which I think is a great album. Did you ever listen to that one, Ralph? Yeah, I own it. I own Victor, too. I liked it. Yeah, what did you think of My Favorite Headache? Like I like one? it, too. I like it. It yeah. was just released on Record Store Day. I didn't get it. I believe oh. the great Charlie Hill got it. Oh, man. I can't believe he didn't buy us five copies of it. Nah, I didn't ask him. You know, he actually, uh, the sweet Charlie Hill said, is there anything you're looking for? And I didn't say, I didn't know that was one of them, <laughs> you know? Oh, uh, God damn, I, I love some Charlie. Dan, Daniela just, uh, she put up a uh, a post about some awesome, like it's a Mercedes Benz or some kind of fancy car. She's like, oh my God, I would love to have this. And I go, yeah, Charlie could probably afford to buy it for you if he didn't spend all his money on Ralph and me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. 
Oh my God, I, I love those two kids, and congratulations! They're oh getting yeah, married. they're getting married so. next month, and I'll be there. Oh, I know. I, invited, and uh, I, I he know. got me. He got me a ticket to go see Jeff Tate doing the whole Rage for Order album. How badass is that? Oh man, no, he, he's awesome. And, and you know, they they sent me an invitation. They said, "Hey, if you can't make it, I understand." Uh, you know, and uh, the great thing is. His uh, Daniela's parents actually sent me money not to show up to the wedding. Oh, yeah. So they did, that, uh, they did that to me too, and I bought, so, I bought crack and blow, and I'm still going. Yeah, I can't make the wedding, but yeah, I got crack too. Uh, but I couldn't uh, afford a hooker. They didn't send me that much. <laughs> but uh, anyway, back to back to Rush. Different stages is, in my opinion, a great live album. And I love how they mix up classic 70s with, uh, you know, a, a true resurgence of them in the 90s. I mean, they were really finding their feet again and embracing their past and getting heavier. Uh, but this is the last you would hear for a while. Uh, but goddamn, it's a great live album. But then they would finally return in hey, am 2000. I gonna talk, am I going to talk about the live album? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What do you think about different stages? Well, I'm looking it up now, and as I look on fm.setlist.com, it is that album. Wait, did they play Limbo? Is Limbo on there? Limbo on the live album? Let me check. I think Limbo is... Dude, they played every song. Wait, I'm going to save the set list, and you look at the live album. Right, Ian? You ready? Yeah. This is the set list they played in West Palm Beach. Tell me what's on and what's not. All right, Dreamline, The Big Money, Wipeout, The Search, the search, the Safaris cover, um, Driven, Half the World, Red Barchetta, Animate, Limbo, The Trees, Red Sector A, Virtuality, Nobody's Hero, Closer to the Heart, The Whole First Side of 2112, and I remember that's when they, they took a break, there was an intermission. They came back, Test for Echoes, Subdivision, Free Will, Roll the Bones, Resist, Leave That Thing Alone, Drum Solo, Natural Science, Force 10, The Spirit of the Radio, Tom Sawyer, and they ended with YYZ. Uh, kind of yes and no, but here, here's the thing about different stages. Different stages are recorded all over the place. Yeah, I know, but it's, uh, I'm looking at the set list on both, and it seems like the same amount of tracks. Uh. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's it's the same. Uh, now that was the show when I was talking about it earlier. I know one of those shows they play Natural Science. It was that one. Right. Well, it's funny. Uh, a lot of my friends saw a show that I couldn't go to because I was working. Uh, they record a lot of it at Tinley Park uh, when uh, Primus opened up for them. Uh, but there, there is a mixture. There, there is one Florida show recorded. But I think it's from the previous tour, uh, 1994 at the Miami Arena. Yeah, I wasn't at that. Yeah, it was. I uh, believe Mr. Big opened that show. No, uh, Mr. Big opened up the '90 uh, tour. Oh, but okay. Th- that's when I saw him was with Mr. Big. Uh, but yeah, Show Don't Tell was recorded at the Miami Arena. But this shit was recorded at Tinley Park, Philadelphia, Miami, Dallas, all over the place. I mean, what you showed was. I mean, what you just read was 
A lot of it was the same, but there's a lot of different shit, too. This yeah, is... I see there's some bonus tracks that didn't make this album that I saw. Right. See, when I saw the tour, they had no opening act. It was an evening with Rush. And it right. was an evening with Rush ever since that yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah. Ever, ever since then, it's always been an evening with Rush. And, and I do remember... That's fine by me. I do remember vividly the whole 2112 album, because that was the first time I saw it in its entirety. And I remember Analog Kid. That I do remember them playing and driven I, I i remember that show i remember that show well you know i like right. especially the older song and you know coming up on a on a future tour they played circumstances at one of those shows and passes oh, wow. yeah i remember those being played at another one of those outdoor it was all at the west palm beach um amphitheater but uh yeah i i went and bought this because of the bonus disc. But I do love this album, you know? I mean, there's a lot of songs on here I can do without. But, you know, I bought the CD, and the first thing I popped in was Disc 3, you know? And they were so hungry and pissed off. And I played this, and I enjoyed it as well. But, you know, Hammersmith with me. But, yeah, it was was awesome. And, and, uh, yeah, this is the only uh, Rush album that features the whole 2112. Uh, I did not, I was not aware of this when I went to go see the show because I remember when they started playing 2112, I'm like, all right, you know, and they're playing Temple Syracuse, and then all of a sudden, you know, the screens showed like a, a, you know, like a cave with water coming down. And the, right, and the discovery kicks in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the, the tuning guitar, and I'm like, whoa, are they going to play this whole thing? And sure enough, man, they played the whole fucking thing, and I was like, oh. <gasps> Wow, you know, and that's what I mean. I was already back into Rush, but that was like, dude, I'm never missing Rush again, and I did it. Right. Every single tour after this, the one tour that didn't come down here, I went to New Orleans to see it. There you so, go. But yeah, man, this uh, it's a great live album. But man, that disc, that 78 disc, is just so fun. Oh you know, yeah, Sickness being on there, I was like, I need to get this, you know. But, yeah, I think it is a great live album, actually. You know, it just has a lot of, you know, songs that don't dig, like Show Don't Tell and, you know, a couple other ones that I can do without. But, yeah, all right. Take the next one, uh, Vapor Trails. All right, Vapor Trails. All right, well, Neil Peart decides he's ready to come back. And, uh, you know, he's raring to go. And uh, this is an album... This one really took a long time to grow on me. Uh, I loved One Little Victory. Uh, I thought that was a good one. Uh, Earthshine I liked. I liked the instrumental freeze. Uh, But it took a while to grow on me. But I really like it. And what I even like more, though, is when they they re-released it with a remix. And, uh... God, I... Can't remember what year that came out. It was like ten years after the remix. I thought it sounded a lot better. Uh, a good album, not a great album, uh, but a good return. And I, I thought it was a decent album for a band that long in the tooth. Uh, but I didn't like it as much as Counterparts or uh, Test for Echo. What do you think? Yeah, um, I I went ran out and bought this right when it came out, and I was absolutely blown away by the track, by the first track. Yeah, uh, you know, one small victory. I was like, holy fuck! Yeah. Listen to like drumming on that song. Oh, amazing! 
It's just such a great battle. And, heavy, and, heavy song. And it should be noted at this point, uh, Neil Peart changed his drumming style. Like he yes. took so he took so long off, he started studying like like Buddy Rich style drumming. Yeah. He changed the way he held the drumsticks. I mean, he really like retaught himself how to play drums. Uh, so very then, in- interesting yeah. era for Rush. And there's a excellent DVD out there, uh, like a Buddy Rich um, tribute, and you can see on YouTube what he does. And dude, he does that Buddy Rich thing. You know when Buddy Rich would go ape shit, where his hands would go, you know, like switch each other back and forth. Doing right, that. right. He was doing the Buddy Rich thing, and then he started doing the little, you know, the little fucking little cowbell, little different noises, the bells and man, phenomenal. You got, I, I, I posted it today on my page. I said, dude, everybody fast forward to the eight minute mark and look at him do Buddy Rich. You know, um. Uh, and I just looked up the set list, and they still play Natural Science. I don't remember seeing the Natural Science twice. But um, uh, this show, the set list was not as good, but they did play Baito and the Snow Dog. I saw them play that again. And they played La Vila Strangiato. I think this, this show was kind of like, eh, in the beginning, but they did play YYZ. I see they played the, pa- the past, too, at the show. And uh, the trees, free will, natural science were played in the set one. Set two, one little victory, driven, ghost rider, secret touch, dreamline, red sector A, leave that thing alone, drum solo, resist, uh, 2112, overture, and temple series, limelight, Rabila Strangiato, spear of the radio, Bitor, Cygnus, prologue, and working that. Uh, it was still a great show. I'm just saying the set list was not as strong as uh, the test for echoes, but. Yeah, um, honestly, Vapor Trails uh, is, a, is an album I don't revisit much. I remember listening to it back then, blown away by One Little Victory. Uh, I did never get the remix, but I do remember they were complaining about the mix. Not only them, but a lot of people online. I remember people were complaining about it. So they remixed it. I never got it, but I do remember liking Ghost Rider off it. But One Little Victory is what, you know, was my song. And, uh, but, you know, it's an album I should revisit, because, you know, and that and the next one, because the next one, well, the next uh, one is Russian Rio, yeah. um, which, holy fuck, is that DVD guy. Oh, my God. And, 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 and that is the one, uh, let, let me, let me take this one, because holy fuck, this is the one that is my third favorite live album. This one is amazing. Uh, the Blu-ray, the DVD. I, I have the Blu-ray box set. I think you have it too, right? The yeah. Blu-ray box set that has all the different. I have the big. I have the yeah. big book that brings everything. Yeah, 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 that's what I got too. But oh my god, I originally had it on on DVD. Now I got it on Blu-ray. Oh my god, their appearance at Rock and Rio was godly. They were so good. Whatever. You know, I, I don't know how the American tour was, but oh no no no, trust me. The the set list it was and nowhere the, near as powerful as that. Yeah, video. yeah. The, the set list that they picked for uh, for this, and you know, for somebody like you, Ralph, there might be you know some songs here you don't care for, but still the performance and the intensity of that Rock and Rio show 
I, I think is one of the greatest Rush shows of all time. Yeah, that I, no, I have to agree. That I've ever seen on, on, on video was fucking amazing. The only thing I would compare to like what I've seen on video uh, w- would be uh, the fair, uh, well, not the farewell tour, but the 40th anniversary tour. But uh, before that, I mean, Russian Rio was fucking amazing. And the band sounded so fucking good. And a great mixture of their entire catalog. But the performance and, and the delivery. Russian Rio. Oh, it, to me, it's just a notch under uh, All the Worlds of Stage and Exit Stage Left. Uh, Russian Rio is... A, to, to me, a, a masterpiece of a live album and a true live album. A fact, fact that a band can do a true live album. Holy shit, is it good? Oh, it's great. And uh, the the when they play Temple here, it's like the overture when the whole crowd is jumping up and down. Oh, unbelievable! I mean, they pretty much were alive during the whole show. There was other songs too where they were jumping up and down. The vibe, the way. They captured it on video. Oh. And there's not a lot of live DVDs and Blu-rays in that age that really grabbed me like this one. This was uh, done fucking amazingly good. I absolutely love Robert. Uh, oh, yeah. real. It's and, awesome. And, and, and I, I think I, I, I'm a little deep into this uh, 12-pack of St. Paul's Girl. Plus, I'm mixing it with like this high-powered Irish beer I have, but we've been skipping like our favorite songs on the last couple albums. Oh, that's true. Well, okay. Um, but uh, I, 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 one I, I, small I, victory. Yeah, we both tripping. agree. We, we both agree. One small victory on uh, on vapor trails. I, I think I would say driven on, on uh, one before uh, test for echoes would be driven on test for echo. Oh, God, I got to pick between totem and resist. I'd say resist. I love resist. And uh, 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 stick it out off of uh, counterparts. Yeah, I think I think we did we did it on, on counterparts. Okay. But but uh, get to this one, I would have to say uh, my favorite song on Rock and Rio. I I think they do a very very emotional, very beautiful version of the past, uh, which which was one of uh, all of their favorite songs. Uh, you know, amongst all three members of Rush, uh, that that's one they all agreed on was a highlight for them, and I think they did an amazing job on uh, Russian Rio. The past, mm-hmm. I, I'll go with Twenty One Twelve Overture. I just love the way they played it, and uh, just the vibe of the audience during that part. It was just uh, just a phenomenal thing to witness. Nice, unbelievably good. All right, the next one's a cover album. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I dig this one a lot. Oh, I love this album. I love this one, and I'm so happy they played my all-time favorite Who song, The Seeker. Oh, yeah. Love the summertime blues. They're, uh, you know, they're not the blue cheer, which Getty Lee has gone on record saying they are the first metal band. Hey, anybody can be wrong, you know? Um... But I love The Seeker on here. I love Shapes of Things. Crossroads is awesome. Uh, for what it's worth. Uh, you know, songs that, you know, I know they're from popular bands. Like, you know, from back in the day, Buffalo, Buffalo Springfield. and I mean, they covered two Buffalo Springfield songs. Yeah. 
and technically, you know, kind of like the Yardbirds two times, if you're not going to, because they didn't play the Robert Johnson version of, no, no, that was Cream, right? That did yeah, Crossroads. yeah, yeah, Crossroads is great. Yeah, um, but uh, I think it's a great, great album, and I don't know, man, it, to me, it'd be a tie between Summertime Blues and The Seeker. It's my uh, favorite song here. Yeah, that's a rough. Here, here, here's another one. I loved every song on this, and I'm kind of weird on cover albums. Sometimes I like it. Nine times out of ten, though, I'm like, eh. I, I like when you change it so much and make it your own. Uh, but I, I think Rush walked the fine line on this album. I, I think, you know, you always know it's Rush, but. You know, you also know what they're playing. Oh, got a favorite. I'm going between The Seeker and Mr. Soul by Buffalo Springfield. Uh, those are both fucking... Oh, my God, they're so good. I don't know. I might have to give it to The Seeker by a cut hand. Uh, but I, I loved it. I, I love that they played The Seeker when I saw them on this tour. Yep. And it was amazing. I mean, they, they put this out. Oh, my God. Uh, I just thought of something. This this was the 30th anniversary, too. Yeah. I, I, I Now, it's 12 times I've seen Rush. <laughs> I forgot I saw this one as well. Where, where did, where did you see Okay. I, I saw it in Tampa. I, I went and saw it in Tampa. And, oh, my God. it was This was my second time seeing Rush. Saw him on the Presto Tour didn't see him again to this one but oh my god was it fucking amazing <laughs> I'll never forget <laughs> my buddy my old roommate he's on the Facebook page Gary Gunn uh, <laughs> we're sitting in the lawn seats man and we are fucking trash and uh, it's summertime it's Florida you know we're wearing you know shirts and tank tops and shit like that <laughs> We were sitting in the lawn. He's like, "I gotta piss. I got, I got, I gotta piss." He's like, "I can't move." So he just pulled his shorts to the side and his underwear, and just sat there in the lawn and started pissing. And I started freaking out because I got my uh, my uh, Rush program is like down by my feet. I'm like, motherfucker, I just paid $20 for this program. You ain't pissing on this motherfucker. And I had to grab it real quick before his piss leaked on it. And, uh, oh, my God. It was, it was so amazing. And I saw some friends of mine from Florida. And my my one friend, uh, oh, my God. Oh, Mr. Galt. He's in, a, he's in a wheelchair. And he had seats, you know, where, like, you know, if you're handicapped, you get to go... <coughs> Into, uh, into, uh, you know, there's like a handicapped section in, in the pavilion. And, uh, he goes, he goes, Hey, come down with me. I'm like, uh, you know, I can't, dude, you know, I, I've got lawn seat tickets. He goes, You're with me, motherfucker. Just say you're my handler. I was like, Okay. So I went up and watched, and, you know, we're going there in the handicapped section and everything and watched a couple of songs with him. Man, it was so fucking amazing. Uh, God damn, what a great show that was. The 30th anniversary tour, you know, they, they've got a video, they got a live album for that, and man, if you weren't there, you missed it. That was oh, they, great. They, they started it with Finding My Way, Anthem, Bastille Day, and Passing oh. the Bangkok Cygnus, 
and Cygnus too, all like a uh, you know like a uh, medley. The, yeah. the R30 Overture, they called it. Oh yeah, it was fucking amazing. No, it was badass, and I remember the sequel was played that night. And uh, uh, and you know they did uh, La Vila Strangato too that night. Yeah, Heartful of Soul, <laughs> Heartful of Soul, they did too. Yeah, and Summertime and, Blues. Yeah. Oh, and I will say this: my favorite, my favorite uh, Neil Peart solo. So was that, that night. Oh my God, Gertrobla! Uh, mm. Oh my God! I mean, go go back and look at all the fucking you know, uh, drum solos. I I think it is the best because it's the most like organic, like amazing drum solo that that <laughs> that Neil ever did. I mean, he did he did some great shit in the seventies and the eighties. Towards like the middle late eighties, there was too much, in my yeah. opinion. There was too much, like, you know, like, robot drums, like the Remo drum pads and shit like this. The drum solo he did on this tour, it's got its own name. Dirt, uh, Dirt, Trombler or something. I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. But, oh, my God, check it out. It's, like, fucking ten minutes long. It's not boring. It doesn't lose your attention. I mean, it's just, like, holy fuck, you just know you're watching a drum god. It was amazing. And he didn't need a fucking goddamn roller coaster. He didn't need all this. This is a real musician playing a real fucking drum solo. Something that's worthy of your attention. Just a fucking masterpiece. Take the next one. Alright. The next one. Okay. Snakes uh, and arrows. Snakes and arrows. Now, Snakes and Arrows, I, I don't know what the reason is. I, I can't give you a good one. When this one came out, uh, it's one of those ones I had uh, Mr. X get it for me. But for whatever reason, I just didn't really check this album out. Uh, and I don't know what it is. And I think to date... This is the only Rush album I don't think I've listened to all the way through. And I don't know why. And I, I like I like the song Far Cry. I thought it was good. But for whatever reason, I've never listened to this one all the way through. So I can't even give a good, you know, reason for why I like it or I don't like it. This is the one more than any other Rush album I need to go back and listen to. What do you think of this one? Um, I didn't really connect with this one, and I do know this one really good, because I, I did play it a lot. I bought it when it came out, and I saw the tour to get familiar with the songs. And yes, I, I did like Far Cry a lot. I liked Working Them Angels. I thought it was a really cool song off it. But, eh, you know, I, now I think about it, I mean, let me look at the set list here. I mean, the, the track list on the album. Uh, the Main Monkey Business was like an instrumental that was, eh, you know. Um. Uh, yeah, it's an album that you know. Out of all the later ones, it's kind of like the one I kind of don't care for that much. I I think it had a lot to do with Paper Trails too, because I kind of like kind of zoned out on Paper Trails. So I I listen to this, but now looking over the, the I just remember Main Monkey Business, Working the Main Angels, and Far Cry, and I do remember those two songs I really liked. 
<coughs> I would say Far Cry would be my favorite track off this album. Right on. Well, did you get the uh, live album, Snakes and Arrows Live? Yes, I did, and it's also part... Oh, no, no, no. I got the, the blue of it. Uh, it's part of the, the book. Right. No, I never bought that live album. Right. Well, I'm, I'm the same way. This is one I haven't listened to, so I can't really... You know, I played got... Entre News, that, which was... Uh, right. I've never seen do that. And, and I've got this, and this, <coughs> this is the one I need, I, I need to watch. And this uh, is the one where they played Circumstances. Right. That's, that's when I saw them do Circumstances. And Pass it to Bangkok uh, was brought back on the set list on this album, on this tour. And Witch Hunt. Right. But that's one I, I really can't give a good, uh, you know, I can't give a review on. I just said ha- I haven't watched it yet. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I never connected with Snakes and Arrows. I just haven't checked it out yet. Uh, but then we go into, uh, we've got some more albums, but this is the final studio album. And, uh, in well, my we're skipping uh, Time Machine. Oh, we did skip. Yeah, we did skip Time Machine. And, and I saw. Again, like the other one, I only own the Blu ray, and I really dig it. This is the one where they played. Um, the moving pictures, moving pictures in its entirety. Yes, and they played a song that wasn't out yet called Caravan from the next album. Yeah, well, when I saw them, they played uh, B two B too. Yeah, they played them both, and they, they were released actually. They were they were out. Right, um, right. But I, I don't know. Maybe it was only download, or no, it probably was a single or CD, whatever. But they both ended up on the last album. But, um. I dig this live album, you know, it's, uh, you know, because it was a special night to see them do the whole movie pictures tour yeah. and let's do the Strangato again. It was, it was a cool night, man, you know, it started oh, off yeah. kind of slow. I mean, it started off with the Spirit of the Radio, but then after that, you know, Time Sense, Don't Presto, whatever, but Stick It Out and Working Them Angels got me back into it. But it's a decent live album. I think it's pretty good. Uh, I like this one. I saw this tour as well. This was the third time I saw them, and this was really special to me because this is uh, my third time seeing them, and I, I saw them with Kobe, who went with, with you and myself, and his father, James. And, uh, man, that was a really, really special night because James, James is a great friend of mine. Uh a really sweetheart of a guy and it was so awesome you know to bring his son it was his first rush show and we went out to eat beforehand and went to the show and you know it was a really really special night you know and it was cool to sit there with a with a father and son you know and and uh get to see like you know a passing of the torch you know and that's why it was so important you know when we took kobe to see the final tour uh, it meant a lot to me, but uh, man, to me it was it was a great show. Uh, seeing moving pictures played live, of course, was incredible. To me, the standout uh, there, there's two ones. It, it, it's a dead tie for me. I really love uh, "Be You To Be." I, I thought that was just like one of the greatest Rush songs. <laughs> Of last like 30 years of their career I really love that song uh, but it's in a, a dead tie with me seeing Vital Signs played 
first time live. For me, you know, I never saw him play that song before, and uh, that blew my mind. I gotta give a slight nudge though to Vital Signs. That was a really cool one. All right. Well, 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 now we'll go into, uh, thank you for correcting me, by the way. Now we'll go into Clockwork Angels, uh, their last studio album. Uh, wow, what, what a strong way to end their career. Uh, you know, as far as, a, you know, a studio output. Uh, I, I thought this was really a good mix of old progressive rush with modern rush. Uh, brilliant lyrics. Uh, I really dug this one. Uh, standouts, standouts to me would be the ones that were previously played, Caravan and Bu to Be. But I also love the title track. Uh, I love the Anarchist, uh, the Wreckers. I love uh, the Garden. You know, wow. You know, a lot of people have been bringing that one up today. And it is kind of like, you know, weird to like think about the end of Rush now and to hear those lyrics and then put it all into perspective. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful song. But there's just, to me, there's something about the heaviness of VU to be. Uh, that, that will always be my favorite off the, off the sound. What do you think? Man, you know, for me, it should be The Garden because that album, is so, that song is so special, so beautiful. And honestly, there's not a song I... This is, to me, the strongest album they've released. Um, I like it more than uh, Grace Under Pressure. I'm kind of torn, and I don't think it... I guess because of the timeline, I, I'm going to put Signals over this. But I think there's the best album they released in Signals. And because um, I like every song on here. And uh, but you know what? Um, I I want I really do want to say the garden because it's so beautiful and it ends it. But I'm gonna go with Headlong Flight as my favorite track on here. That's a great one too. It has a vibe of, of Anthem a little bit, you know. It's got kind of a, a very heavy metal '70s vibe of Rush that I dig so much, and um, and it just kicks so much ass, man, especially live. That opening bass line is fucking sick, you know, but there's not a bad song. I, I like the Anarchist a lot on here, and Caravan is great, and B2B, great fucking songs. The Records is awesome, uh, but man, it's, you know, Headlong Flight in the Garden are my favorite tracks on here. Absolutely love it. I saw the tour, very happy, I, you know, I got to take Kathy, and it was one and only time she ever got to see them. You know, and, you know, Kathy, uh, it's not even in her wheelhouse, like a Rush, you know, because she's more of a, you know, black metal chick, but she loves Rush. And um, she was crying. I, I talked to her. She was crying her eyes out over the phone. It really hit her hard, man, that, uh, you know, that Neil Peart uh, passed away. But <clears throat> and a great tour, a great set list, you know. Uh, it was very heavy on um, Clockwork Angel this album. Oh, yeah. I think it, they may have played every song off it, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's what I love, though. They believe in that album so much, they're like, fuck it. You know? yeah. And I respect that. It yeah, it's fucking, and it was great. Um, it was just a fantastic show. Uh, they did that show here twice, 
and I went both times at the same place, and it was not different, which is not cool, but fuck it, you know? It's rushed. Did you see the symphony shit or no? Yes, the symphony was there during a lot of the... A lot of the Clockwork Angels, they had a full symphony on stage. Oh, was that the whole tour they did that? I thought that was just part of it they did that. No, no, but the symphony wasn't there during the whole uh, the whole show. Right, right, they, right, right. No, not the whole show. But, but I mean, I, I, I guess I was mistaken. I thought it was only certain shows where they had the symphony, but that was throughout the whole tour. And it was cool, too, because not only did they have a symphony on stage, but they had, like, blimps flying over them and shit. Right. It was a really badass stage show. And uh, I remember they played Analog Kid. They brought that back from the set list. That made me happy. And uh, it was just fucking great. It was so good. But I gotta tell you, man, the highlight for that show is the highlight of every Rush show. I thought the highlight that night, YYZ. Right. Every time they play YYZ, I always think it's the showstopper of the, of the show. You know, I always thought that was the greatest part of a rush show. Even though I'm not slamming the rest of it. But YYZ played that night, which was the last time I saw him play it. Because you know they didn't play it in New Orleans when we saw him. Which was kind of like, wow. They didn't? No, they didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was kind of shocking. It was the first time I ever saw Rush without them playing it. And I don't think it was even in the alternative set. I could be wrong. But yeah, it's awesome. And then there's uh, R4 Live. Right. Well, well, well. I, I got to talk oh. about the Clockwork. Oh yeah. Okay. They 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 put out the album for that, the Clockwork Angels tour, right. and and that's the one I gotta say is tied with uh, Show of Hands for my least favorite. Only because I don't like the uh, orchestra shit. Right. I, I'm not a fan. But that, that I mean that that's just a me thing. I I don't like it when any band does it. I don't like it when Deep Purple does it. I don't like when Metallica does it. Well, did they... Because I... Refresh my memory. Did they play on songs that weren't off Clockwork Angels? Because Clockwork Angels has a lot of the orchestra, you know? Right, right. But I'm... I'm, I I don't know. Like, when they play it live, I don't know. There's just... I don't like a goddamn... I don't like mixing classical music and rock music. I, I don't... I don't like... That's not like most people listen to like fucking rap rock metal. That's how I am when I hear fucking classical music and fucking metal music. Well, thank God they didn't do it during, you know, like Spirit of the Radio and shit like that. Right, right. I I just, I don't don't care for it. And uh, what's weird, you know, like, like I I love jazz. I I love jazz music, man. But classical music, I'm I'm really like, eh. Like, I, I don't mind a little Wagner. You know, but it's still not. I'm not gonna put on a Wagner CD and listen to the whole fucking thing. You know, I want to hear that goddamn song from Apocalypse Now. That's it. You know, Fight uh, the Yeah, yeah, Flight of the Valkyries or whatever the fuck it's called. Shit's awesome. Know. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Metal, man. Wagner was the most metal of the classical composers. Right, but but I I still I still don't want to hear that mixed with Fight Fire with Fire. You know. Well, yeah, fuck that FM. Keep, keep that shit segregated, goddammit. Uh, but yeah, I would have to say the Clockwork Angels tour, I think I might have listened to that album once, uh, but I didn't go back and revisit it. Uh, I gotta agree with you again. Like most of them, Highlight's gonna be YYZ. 
But then we go we go to R4 Live, R40 Live, and that is the tour we saw the last tour. Um, man, what a fucking night! So amazing, and what a great Blu-ray. And uh, again, I think the best stage set that Rush ever did because the way how they did evolve, they devolved. <laughs> you know, as the night went on. They just went back in time, not only with the set list, but with the stage set, and it was fucking amazing. Uh, a magical night. It's one of those things, I like, pretty much everybody knew this is the last time you're going to see Rush. You know, like, they didn't, you know, they threw hints, but they didn't have to say it, and I think there was that vibe, you know, in the arena that night. Like, everybody knew this is it. You know, enjoy it. Soak it all up. You know, don't waste a fucking second. Because this is, you know, unless you're traveling like you're seeing the dead, this is the last time you're going to see Rush. And uh, I, I felt it going into the show. I felt it at the show. I felt it when we left. Uh, and I knew I saw something special. And yeah. you know what, Ian? I just remembered the name of the song. And I'm looking... It's weird because I'm looking at the set list and it's not on. I mean, uh, it's not on the that CD, the R40. The unreleased song they played, the early song they played that night was called "Garden Road," and I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! You're right. Yeah, now I, be- I believe it was the last song of the night. I could be wrong though, or maybe it was uh, "Working Man." Well, I, I'm, I'm looking at the set list for the R40 Live and YYZ's on there, but maybe they didn't play it at our show. Yeah, it probably was the alternative set list, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, man, what a great fucking... What a great fucking show that was. And uh, I think this is a really good live album, a really good Blu-ray Uh and what a way for them to go out, you know, this being the final release from Rush, you know, unless that, you know, and they might go back, uh, you never know, they could do like what they do with Frank Zappa, they might find some old Rush concerts and release them, uh, you know, be it audio or visual or whatever, uh, but while they were a working band, this was the last album released, and, uh, Oh, God, it's so good. So good. And uh, a very special night to both of us. And God damn it, we uh, we miss you and we love you, Neil Peart. Yeah, I miss him like crazy already. I know. You know I, I, knew, I knew I never was going to see him live, but still. Um, just, to, just to lose him, you know, it's fuck. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I feel so bad. You know, for, for his wife and his daughter, you know, and I know his daughter is very young. She's probably, I would say now, she's probably like nine or ten. And, and you know, what a horrible age to yeah. lose a parent. I mean, there's no good age, but what a horrible age. But, uh, you know, not only on top of that, you know, you know, to his wife and his daughter, you know, but for, for Getty and, and for Alex, you know, that was, you know their buddy for 40 plus years I mean all the shit that they shared with him you know all the fucking the tours you know before they were on jets before they were on you know all the you know private buses you know when they were in fucking you know 
Winnebago opening up for fucking Kiss. You know? All the time they spent together, all those years, all the music they created. And, uh, you know, that'd, that'd be like losing a limb. You know, and I, I really... I really feel bad for all of them, you know, for his family, for his loved ones, you know, <coughs> his bandmates, man. That's sad, and, and I, I feel bad for the fans, you know. Who, you know, this band means so much, you know, means so much to them. It's, uh, man, this is a rough one. Holy shit! I mean, we, we're living now in a world without Neil Peart. That's fucking. You know, it's one of those. It's going to sink in more in a couple of days from now. Well, you know what I mean? Worse, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's going to, and you know, everybody's going to be listening, to rush, and, and thinking about it, and realizing, you know, mortality and shit. And I got, I got to say, man, you know, you know, I, I'm one of those, like I, I've dealt with death my whole life, like, like from you know, from being a little kid. All along the way, I've lost a lot of people, friends and family, to where it was almost like, I, I, I just saw it as, you know, a part of life, you know, where, where well, it, it happens, you know, because it keeps happening, uh, but, it, you know, in the last couple of years, I, I, I've lost some people that mean so much to me, like you question mortality and like holy shit you know well I, I would I would love to do a little shout out because you know oddly enough uh, and I made this post last night because I, I I was like oh my god it's been three years um, my my friend Danny the, the that girl that lived with me for a while right. she passed away three years ago now Neil Perk died on Tuesday but it was announced today Right. So I was already kind of grieving her because I even said in that post, I was like, man, I miss her so much because I think about Danny a lot. She was a really cool chick. And um, just just by, you know, then when I hear about Neil Peart, you know, I was like, wow, that really blew my mind. And I thought of Danny as well. I was like, because I didn't know he died on Tuesday. And I'm like, wow, he died the same day as Danny. But no, they announced it. But yeah, I was already, I was kind of like grieving today, her. And then to find this out, it was a double whammy for me. You know? Rest in peace, Danny. She was awesome. Danny Laura. She's still on my Facebook, but she's no longer with us. You know? Yeah. Nah, I mean, and it, you have to celebrate, man. That's yeah, what I, you know, I think is, of the good times I had with her. She was a funny girl. She loved anthrax, you know. One perfect, but, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but her favorite nah. song was Medusa, so, you know, heads up to that. Hell yeah. Yeah. But no, it's it's weird because I've been thinking about mortality a lot more lately. Uh, you know, and I, I think weird shit like like you and me, we're both collectors, you know, and uh, you know, like you know, you you saw the movies and the CDs and the, all the shit that I got, and I've seen all the shit that you got. But you know, it, it's like you, you can't take that shit with you. You know, you just you you're here for a small amount of time, and uh, man, make make the most of it. Make the fucking most of it. I know when I die, there'll be two things said about me. Wow, what's gonna happen to all his shit? Like people are gonna want it, and and another thing people will be saying. Well, I guess he didn't thrash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that's, gonna, that's, that's gonna be my legacy. Oh, he died. I guess he wasn't thrashing. All, all, all I'm gonna, all I'm thinking about is like it's gonna be a race between me and Charlie Hill to go over there. You know, Charlie's like, I want to get my money back. God damn it! That's hilarious <laughs> that you think you're gonna outlive me. I could see Charlie outliving me, but you, come on, bro. Yeah, no, I'll be dead. I'll, I'll be, be dead. getting your collection, bro. Yeah, yeah, I, I will I, that I know. shit to me. I would, oh, will, yeah. I would will mine to you, Ian. I really would, but oh, come no. on, I'm gonna. Yeah, no, I, 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 no, I would definitely, I would definitely do that. Like, uh, you know, and that's one of those things I've been thinking about is like, like setting that shit up. Like, you know, I'm gonna let, of, of course, you know, you know, Tyler have, you know, my son have dibs on whatever he wants. And, now and you whatever. give Tyler everything I have. Believe me. I'm not going to get that much off you. <laughs> right, right. You're not going to want much of what I have. Yeah, no. It, yeah, especially give Tyler your dang addiction and your fear shit. Yeah. And just pass me. I, dude, there's probably about like 30 things you have I don't have. <laughs> Make sure Tyler doesn't get those 30 things. But, uh, no, man, it's, it's but, uh, I ain't going to lie, dude. I've been, I've been thinking about that shit lately. And it sucks. You know, it's, it's morbid. It's a, it's a horrible thing to think about. But uh, ain't none of us here forever, man. Ain't none of us going to fucking get out alive. That's why and, I say enjoy life, man. Yeah. And, and do what you want. You think I give a fuck what anybody thinks about me wanting to marry a girl I can share with everybody? That's what would make me happy, Ian. Oh, no. Let me not share my wife with people because people <laughs> frown down on that. No. You got to live your life like you want. Fuck what anybody thinks. And if you're listening, you're female, and you would let me share you, and you gotta be, like, easy on the eyes, too. Please marry me. (laughs) One life, Ian. Like Rob Hofford said in that overrated... One one life, and I'm gonna live it up. Yeah, fuck that song, but I like that line. But, uh... Yeah, man, it's... Celebrate. uh, Celebrate, dude. You have to celebrate. I know, like John Lennon, man, the greatest thing... He wrote, you know, greatest lyrics, you know, you know, the, uh, some are dead and some are living in my life. I love them all. You know, you have to fucking just just remember in fond memory, because honestly, I'm, I don't I, I went through my depression. I went through, you know, uh, you know, I've talked about before, you know, things that are very some people very, very shit. I almost got married. OK. And she got killed by a drunk driver. I went through my shit, you know, but now looking back on it, man, it's like, man, do they really want me to suffer and mourn or would they want me to celebrate them and be happy with my life? And that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, You know, I'm very sad and depressed shit happened, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you know what? They wouldn't want me sad and depressed. They want me to be happy. And I think of, you know, the great times I had with Danny, you know? and Maria and and I think of like all the fun we had and all the good times and that is to me more uh, you know it's just more fulfilling and makes life a little more enjoyable to just (laughs) remember the good times right yeah well you know I I, I, you know I think of Shauna every day and uh, I, I, I think about that episode where I talked about fucking another chick and she came in and started yelling at me and uh, Shauna wants me to suffer. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, uh, you know, teach their own. Uh, but, you know what, I'm, I'm going to celebrate life. And, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, one of the 
the greatest things you know I had happened over this past holiday season. Uh, got to go see my son and my granddaughter, and, and uh, man, I got to sit there in in my son's garage, and we sat there, and we got drunk till four in the fucking morning, <laughs> nice. drinking drinking beer, tequila. Oh my god, we were sitting by a fire till it started raining because we were in Seattle, and uh, went in his garage, and we sat there and we listened to music, and it was the greatest thing in the world. And I got to sit there and turn my son on to music and he turned me on to shit that he listened to. And, uh, man, that's what it's all about, man. Share, sharing, you know, music and, and, and your passions with the people you love and, uh, enjoy them while they're here, man. Cause you never fucking know, man. You never fucking know. If, Somebody would have told me when I woke up this morning that I was going to find out Neil Peart was dead. I'd say you're fucking crazy. You know. Well, you know what, man? The the best way to sum up this episode is, man, celebrate the greatness this guy gave us. Yes. The gift of music, the gift of his genius lyrics, is the you know, Rush has been a huge part of the soundtrack of my life. Yeah. Even during the dark years, I was cranking Farewell to Kings of 2112. They didn't, you know, there's there's no band out there that they get so shitty. I don't, you know, praise the stuff I, I used to love because I'll always love it. I'll always love uh, everything Rush did, but for some reason, I don't know why the fuck Countdown got slipped out of there. They used to love that damn song. I don't know what happened there. But, um, <clears throat> hey, man. They use Q-tips. <laughs> yeah, probably. So let's celebrate Rush. Let's celebrate not only Neil Peart, but John Rusty as well. Yes. He, needs, he needs to be celebrated as well. The memory of John Rusty and the living legends, Getty Lee and Alec Lyson, because yes. without those two, uh, there's no vehicle for the greatness of Neil Peart's lyrics and drumming, because for the most part, or maybe all parts... It was just Neil was just the, the lyricist, and Alex and Getty were the you know the music maestros, you know. Yeah. So, but, but I mean, that, you know, that that drumming though, that that incredible. Yeah, no, yeah, the drumming. I'm sure he. I'm sure Getty didn't tell him how to play. No, so, no, 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 no. You know, no. You, you, you know, he's part of the music writing too. But you know, the riffs, the, you know, the Lakeside Park, the you know, twenty one twelves, you know, everything that we praise during this episode you know you gotta hand it to Getty and Alex as well you know and John Rusty and Neil Peart you know and uh let's not forget Ray Daniels and Ray Daniels yes (laughs) the great the great healer yes the The great that guy saved rock and roll better than fucking uh uh, the Beatles (laughs) (laughs) he's more important to saving rock and roll than the Beatles yeah yeah, fuck Epstein or whoever the fucking uh, Beatles manager yeah, was. Yeah, no, no, that guy was nothing. Yeah. That's why he killed himself, man. Yeah, yeah, he, he killed himself. He, he killed himself because he saw Sammy Hagar coming down the pike and he didn't know what to do about exactly. it. Exactly. Ray Daniels was like, hey, what's this old boot? I'm going to break this shit up, goddammit. Step aside, Epstein and Peter, <laughs> what was his name from uh, Peter Grant from Led Zeppelin? Step yeah. aside. Yeah, y'all ain't got shit on Ray Daniels, motherfucker. Ray Daniels. Fuck yeah, he rules. Yes. All hell, Ray Daniels. 
<laughs> I want a goddamn Kanye concept album about Ray Daniels. Yeah. How 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 Alex Van Halen fucked his sister and he fucked Sammy Hagar out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> name, name that album The Man That Saved Rock and Roll. You goddamn right. Here, here, Ray Daniels. <laughs> All right, Ian. Out of everything we just talked of, I guess we're both going to agree. 2112 is our favorite Rush album. Yes, 2112 is our favorite Rush album. And 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 I got to say, uh, I don't think we've ever agreed as much on a discography as Yeah, we, that's true. Rush. It's weird. Yeah. And uh, that's how powerful Neil was. That's yeah. how powerful Ray Daniels was for us to... <laughs> For for him to manage a band where we both agree on a lot, yeah, yeah, we we both we both spit different cocks out of our mouth and put the same cock in our mouth and say yum yum yum, yeah, eat them exactly. up, exactly. Uh, but uh, ser- I mean, all things considered, uh, you know, wh- how amazing was it that you know the first time we met, the first show we saw together was Rush. Yep. Uh, so you know. It's always going to have a special place in our hearts. and it's, If it, it just... wasn't for Ray Daniels, I'd still be avoiding to meet you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See exactly. that? All, Another great all, thing you did. It's all oh, about I'm Ray. Afraid, huh? Yeah, yeah. like right, without Ray Daniels, we'd still be hoping for a David Lee Roth reunion. Like, even how he sings now, please. Yeah, I'd please. be like, I'd be like, oh, Rock and Pod, can you separate me from that guy? I don't want to meet him. Yeah, I do a show with him, but I don't want to meet him. Can you put him on the opposite side of the hotel? Can we do a via video? <laughs> <laughs> we do the live cast. Can he be upstairs and me be downstairs? Have like a TV screen next to me, and we both vibe off each other. Yeah, and 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 to all the other fans who are yeah who are hurting right now, and you know, and 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 shedding tears and and reliving fond memories, man. You know, th- this is for you guys, man. And, and just I hope as much I as hope it's for us. And I hope the way we ended the show, we twisted around and make you happy that. Yeah. What is that meme we see everywhere? There's a meme that says something like, the earth has been around for 25 billion years, and yet you lived right. during Neil during Rush. Yeah. You lived during that era, you know? Exactly. We lived during Van Halen, Black Sabbath, you know? All this great music that, you know, we lived during it, you know? Yeah, and we, we are a dying breed, unfortunately, yeah. you know? Uh, but, but uh, hey, man! But we gotta enjoy it, man. While it's yeah. still there, and you know, I'll save my critique for David Lee Roth and well, fuck Motley Crue for now. Yeah, and yeah, fuck Motley Crue and Kiss. Yeah, and uh, yeah, all, all that shit's gonna come up in the next episode. That hopefully yeah, that's from me and Ian go back to fighting. Yeah, exactly. But uh, we're unified by Rush today, and uh, we love this band, man. They they mean a lot to us, and. Uh, Neil means a lot to us, and, and, hey, and to all hey, you guys listening. We're 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 closing in. Well, after editing, it'll be uh, much less than this, but we're closing in on four hours. Whoever the fuck is listening to our voice now is a goddamn Rush fan. You goddamn right. And hail Rush, hail Neil Peart, and jeez, uh, I mean, uh, I wanna I wanna end it on a positive note. I don't want this to be depressing. We need to like celebrate the greatness that Rush and a lot of bands have given us but Rush was a band unlike many other bands that were still good and knew when to stop knew when not you know to overstay the party you know like Paul Stanley would say 
We yeah. don't want to be in this, you know. Rush didn't say that once. We don't want to overstay our party. They didn't say it because you know what? Action speaks louder than words. Yeah. And Rush shows you what a putz Paul Stanley is. Putz Stanley. That's what I'm going to yeah. That's like one of my favorite Neil Peart quotes was, you know, we don't want to make a sonic boom. Yeah, I, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Oh, and he also said, fuck Scott Kiss. Yeah, he, he said that too. Yeah, but did. but here's something, here's another high note that I, I think a lot of people uh, will enjoy and make a lot of people, uh, our listeners and people on the Facebook page, happy. There, there was, we were going to try to have a third person on this episode. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. And it didn't work out because uh, he was working tonight. But we will have the return of Bill Wang, and this is something I'd, I'd like to do on the Facebook page. Uh, who's ever good at starting those polls and shit, you know, that, that, all that testicle shit? How about somebody start a poll on the Facebook page? What Rush album you would like us to review for the return of Bill Wayne? There you go. Uh, we already and, did Permanent Waves, and we did... Uh, uh, Farewell to Kings. We already did those two, so not, yeah, so, not so, any so, so, so take those two two off, and... Uh, but, but, but uh, you know, I don't want, like, 30 threads about the post. You guys argue amongst yourselves. Somebody, you know, do a poll... Ah, we'll just do. look at the poll. That's what I'll do. I'll fuck the comments. Yeah. Well, well, well. Don't look at the poll because then you'll see Nate's daughter dancing. Uh, oh. Just kidding. Oh, oh, god damn! I'm the one that's supposed to say shit like that. I know. I know. I took a bullet for you. God <sighs> damn it. We love you, Nate. We're just kidding. Nah, Nate. Uh, rest assured, Nate. I no longer have eyes on your daughter, Ian's granddaughters. That's yeah, I, man, yeah. Man. I know. She they, 18 yet? Yeah, you ain't got to worry, Nate. Your daughter's too old for Ralph. Yeah. No, I yeah. want an 18-year-old. Yeah. I want I, a... Motherfucker, my granddaughter ain't even 18 months. Slow your roll. Really? God <laughs> damn, man. I am, I am so impatient. Oh, Lord. But anyway, one of you guys, uh, take it amongst yourselves. Uh, put up a poll. Pick, other than those two Rush albums, uh, pick the Rush album that you want for the return of Bill Wang. There's some happy news for you coming soon on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. All right, so I, and and I would like to end this episode appropriately with the last lyrics on the last Rush album, "The Garden," and it goes like this, and it's written by the great Neil Peart. This is what he said: "The treasure of life is the measure of love and respect. The way that you live, the gifts that you give." In the fullness of time, it's the it's the only return that you expect. The future disappears into memory with only a moment between. Forever dwells in that moment. Hope is what remains to be seen. Rest in peace, Professor. Yes. In this one of many possible worlds, all for the best, or something's our test. It is what it is, and whatever Time is still the infinite jest The arrow flies when you dream The hours tick away, the cells tick away The watchmaker keeps dreaming
Remain. 